So then, um, before their match, there's a sign in the crowd. No idea why someone felt the need to write this on a on a sign, but they did. Oil of Ole, all day, every day. (laughs) 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 And then my mind went on a trip about... It used to be called Oil of Ule, I'm pretty certain, in this yeah. country. And then it was changed, I assume, because internationally it was called Oil of Ole. Uh, uh, right. I love the fact that, like, I mean, maybe it's, is it, if they tried to link that back to, like, Ole Anderson, perhaps? Well, it's not spelt the same, so, no, I don't mm. think so. Yeah. I think they just wanted younger-looking skin. They, they probably had really young-looking skin and wanted to share the secret with everybody else. Ooh. Oil of Ole, all day, every day. <laughs> They should have just come on themselves. Apparently, that's great for skin. Right. Well, let's move on very quickly from that (laughs) one. Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and today we move away from the showcase of the Immortals to focus back on our friends down south in WCW as we look back at Spring Stampede from 1999. Joining me today is old man Sam Carey. <laughs> is that all we're getting? <laughs> Just a little, little stick of the teeth. Yeah. <laughs> and also we've got Tom Smith today. <laughs> and he goes one further than old man. <laughs> Any noise whatsoever. <laughs> So, uh, listener, this is going to be fun because basically all that's <laughs> happening is I'm going to talk and these two are just going to look at me awkwardly <laughs> to make this a really, really difficult one. Well, um, in, in fairness, Tinky, you've made it awkward by turning up naked today. <laughs> but I do that every single week, so why is this week any different? Well, the, the difference is, Tinky, is that this week you haven't got the balaclava on, so it's very me and old man <laughs> absolutely rotten. Well, other than those things, I'm very happy to report that we had no major hiccups this week as Tom, the only one watched the right show but also managed to turn up when expected oh no they didn't because the fucker was half an hour late again that was in my script and i still had to fucking change it because of you you prick <laughs> so do you know what to, to let a little, little peek behind the curtain for the listeners <laughs> earlier this afternoon i sent a, uh, a message into our into our whatsapp group saying ready for 6 30 right pay-per-view watched notes all done suck on that tinky then basically just shy of two hours later can we push it seven boys <laughs> <laughs> and I also, I also had the temerity to blame on my daughter as well. <laughs> there we Such go. Such a prick. I mean, it's probably not the first time Shinsuke Nakamura's ruined the show, but it's a different one, pretty different person this time. Lovely, lovely merge in the worlds there. I love a bit of merge. A bit of a merge. It's a great yeah. word. It's a great word as well, merge. Especially for a Bristolian. Yeah, 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 definitely. Never <laughs> use male merge in your job anymore? I don't think anyone does, do they? Not anymore. No, no, no. No, no. fucking waste. <laughs> it's going to be a forgotten and lost technology, like like how they built Stonehenge. Mm. No one will never know how mail mergers were done using Excel. I think even in their pump, I never used mail mergers. Oh man, you fucking missed out. <laughs> when was their pump? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say probably about eight years ago, maybe. Oh, I think a good. I'd say 15 years ago at least. Really? Well, well, I never used them, so I don't know. No, uh, the the job I. Used a mail merge in. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> What's happened here, lads? Uh, was, uh, 
it, it was actually, it was the job that I was doing when we went to WrestleMania 26. So you're looking about 12 years ago. So uh, we say this pretty regularly, but a serious push from me today. Rating and reviewing our show is a massively important element to the number of people who find us and listen to us. So if you could just take the time to give us a rating, give us a review. Uh, I'm not familiar with how most of the podcast apps work, but I know there is a way to do it on Apple and Spotify. So if you get the chance, that, that would mean an awful lot to us. We've got a couple of ratings on uh, Apple. We've got one review from the old loyal Rockstar Kirky. And it's a, it's a glowing review. It's a lovely review from the great man himself. Yeah, and uh, Rockstar Kirky was very, very excited today as we are recording this because the WrestleMania 26 episode just came out and he was finally able to see old man's sh- smiling face in the crowd at WrestleMania 26. So he's already messaged us uh, to say he was very, very happy and you look beautiful, apparently. Old oh, man. thank you, Rockstar. He's a lovely man, isn't he? He's a, bloody, he's a bloody liar. That's what I was he is. Say, I, think, I think he might be a bit simple. <laughs> no, um, in all fairness, a great man. Uh, he actually also, I posted a picture on my Instagram, I think, just before I kind of deleted the app. Um, and it was a picture of me old man who was the best man at my wedding and one of the groomsmen johnny and he messaged me saying is that old man as well so i think he'd already had a taste beforehand but it was confirmed after the wrestlemania 26 show so he's at his fill with the greatest respect to rockstar kirky it's a bit disappointing that he's the person pandering to see my face (laughs) (laughs) and it's not like lita (laughs) tristratus may young (laughs) she's dead mate yeah. Huh? <laughs> Even if she was alive, she wouldn't like to know to use fucking Twitter. How rude to me. Yeah. Another dream has died for old man. <laughs> yeah. So um anyway, let's let's move on. Uh because yeah. we've got We've got a whole show to cover today, and we've got a special topic as per usual. And uh, I set them, I set these guys another little task for this week's topic. He's working us like fucking dogs. That's, That's what true. he's doing. Absolutely true. Yeah, dogs who don't work. That's what I'm working you like. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's dogs. <laughs> yeah yeah pet dogs normal dogs so today's topic is going to be top five matches we've covered on the pod so far so what i thought i'd do we will go number five each and then we'll do number four each etc uh, so we're going in reverse order why don't we start with old man your number five match that we've covered on the pod so far so this is tough i'm going to go brett undertaker SummerSlam 97 Nice. Uh, lo- lovely old time with old old Shawnee Mikes, the old Harbone kid as a special guest referee. Mm-hmm. I, I know Tommy no, will undoubtedly have seen the match, but wasn't present for that episode. It was yeah. uh, old, uh, old Jimbo, wasn't it? Old Jimby Trups. <laughs> <laughs> that is, by the way, how he likes to be uh, called. So remember that when he comes on next, Jimbo Trups. <laughs> so I haven't, I didn't actually rank them. Um, oh. I didn't know I had to rank them. And I also, I must admit, I took it, I took it from a slightly different perspective as well. I did it on matches because I, I thought it'd be a bit obvious if I picked my five matches that we've done in the entire pod. So I've picked my five matches that I'd never seen before. Okay. So, so basically, you've not done what I told you to do. <laughs> well, no, no, I've, I've so, interpreted it in a different way. Can we, can we, can we just, can we just clarify something? So, of the three, of the three things that you said you had done prior to this show, two of them yeah. you didn't do. <laughs> and we're covering uh, No Mercy 2006, right? No, we've done that before, mate. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought it was familiar. 
<laughs> so no, I've interpreted it in a different way. In which case, but and I said I didn't rank them. But my my fifth match is probably going to surprise you guys quite a lot. I've put the old Roadwires versus the Midnight Express scaffold match at Starcade '86, and the reason being is that it's unlike anything else I've ever seen before. And it's not a particularly good match, I don't think, but the spectacle of it was so unusual and different. And the fact that old Jim Cornette takes that horrendous bump at the end is enough for it to be in my top five. So that's why that is in my top five. I, I think that's a good shout that because I agreed with you that when we watched that I thought it was a real spectacle watching that and I den- genuinely was nervous during the match because they were just so damn high okay I tell you what let's let's mix it up since Tom's gone a little bit off piece old man you carry on doing your top five after you both have dropped your top five I'll avoid all of the matches that are in both of your top five just to Ooh. make it more interesting so old man what was your number four I got the Midnight Express against the Southern Boys Great American Bash 1990 because yeah. not only was it ripping stuff but it changed the game for me it changed tag team wrestling for me it's tainted many of the tag team matches that i've seen both through its brilliance and through how it's put together lovely mm. oh southern boys tom that was an example of um what was it oh um hang on uh, southern wrestling <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. I couldn't, couldn't quite recall. Tom, your number four. My number four is Roderick Strong and Kyle O'Reilly versus Danny Birch and uh, Oni Lorcan. Uh, NXT TakeOver Chicago 2. Uh, absolutely phenomenal match with four people who I hadn't really seen anything of before. Like, I, like I missed most of the Undisputed Era in NXT and I'd certainly never heard of Danny Birch or uh, Oni Lorcan. And I can remember there being a really cool like double submission spot, which was, which was really, really good in the match. I remember... It, not expecting much of it at the beginning and the entire match just blowing me away. So that's number four in my list. Yeah, that was going to be number four in my original list. So that was that was there. That was that was booked in. Oh, man. So in the number three slot, just below a third, the Lucha Bros and the Young Bucks are all out 2021. It's a fucking incredible thing. I watched it, it twice in a day. Twice in a day. <laughs> like the main event of the show we're just about to cover. You mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just the Twice same. But yeah, God, great stuff. Obviously, um, this this goes for all the matches that we're talking about now. But just have a look. Just have a look, listener. Mm. That was going. That was my number one. That match. But as a result of that, it's now been usurped to my number three. So there we go. That's what it is. But again, second, uh, I second everything that old man said. It's an absolutely phenomenal match. I don't think of the Young Bucks as being storytelling wrestlers. And I've always been a little bit dismissive of them. And that match, they completely won me over. And I already loved Penta, El Zero Miedo and, and Ray Phoenix already. And the entrances were great as well. The spectacle of the tag, the bumps, the spots, the storytelling, the blood, everything. Fantastic. Yeah, great match. That was actually going to be my number three as well before I agreed to not oh. include anything in your in, in your top fives in mind. So uh, I'm going to have to reshuffle this pretty quickly. Old man. So we've got Bailey, Sasha Banks. Uh, what I've written in my notes, XNT, TakeOver Brooklyn, <laughs> which was uh, the precursor to NXT. But I mean, we eulogized about this match before it's fucking amazing it's like no female women's match i think any of us had ever seen to this point and it's just fucking fucking mint <laughs> i thought that was the word you were going for and then thought yeah. that was it, and then thought no fuck it i'm gonna say yeah. it anyway it is fucking mint <laughs> it is mint 
Number two, this is a match that I said I do not remember in the slightest ever watching, and I definitely had never seen it before because I would have always skipped past it. But I've gone for the Heavenly Bodies versus the Rock and Roll Express from Survivor Series 93. Cool. Thought it was really, really good. Again, have you noticed the theme about all the matches I've selected so far? You've not seen them before. Yes, that's the one. Um, they're all tag <laughs> matches. Yes. All of them have been tag matches, and I think that's been something that's really become really kind of um, I really appreciate over the course of doing this podcast is that all these all these um, matches are ones that I don't fall into the typical kind of WWE formulaic you know way that tag team matches are usually done this match was brilliant uh, a pay-per-view that the crowd didn't really appreciate as much but just the cleanness of the finish of Jim Cornette just throwing the uh, the tennis racket up to the old matey boy on the top rope and uh, beautiful great match nice stuff so old man becomes your number one I, I may be able to guess what it is but <laughs> uh, it's, it's Brett and Yokozuna from Wrestlemania sorry sorry but it's Brett and Owen from Wrestlemania 10 of course it is I'm not going to even touch on it because we did such a beautiful job in our Wrestlemania 10 episode that the listeners could have to go back and listen totally agree with that sentiment to Tom it's um, your number one yes this is my number one this might seem like a bit of an odd number one and bear in mind it wasn't originally going to be my number one but you forced my hand old man I've gone this is the only singles match on my list Chris Benoit versus William Regal at No Mercy 2006 oh, um, I remember watching this at the time really enjoying it the character arc of William Regal throughout the entire show just the fact that it keeps getting worse and worse for him he gets Buffalo build by the old matey boy the Italian bloke he, he gets accosted by someone in the shower he falls in soup you know he's getting fucking mucked he's getting like constantly chastised by Booker T and then all of a sudden he's got to go back and get the shit kicked out of him by returning Chris Benoit and the match is so fucking stiff and two against two guys who are just amazing workers and yeah that's why that was my number one cool okay so i've now quickly reshuffled my top five fifth position i'm going to put Shawn michaels versus razor ramon wrestlemania 10 ladder match lovely again old man talked about that a couple of weeks ago if you want the full rundown go back and listen to it because we well we we definitely gave it its due uh also just recently we we not long ago which tom missed again jushin liger versus brian pillman super brawl 2 the opener of that show wonderful match really really good match and quite a famously good match and i did watch it what did you think i thought it was shit no, no, I thought it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good match, and you lads did a very did it justice. So then three is Kurt Angle versus Brock Lesnar from WrestleMania 19, the main event, of course, of that, which is still our highest rated show as well overall. Then I've got number two. It was mentioned a few weeks back. Shawn Michaels versus David Boy Smith from King of the Ring 1996, main event of that show, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. And can I make a quick guess? It's going to involve Vader. No, I, 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 I was heavily considering Vader in a lot of ways. But then I thought, in fairness, I love all of his matches, but I don't think we've seen an absolute classic from Vader yet. I don't think we've seen something that's... His stuff is great in all of the matches he's in, and I've really enjoyed them, but I don't think we've seen an absolutely amazing match with Vader in yet. My number one, which was originally number five so you've covered my top four was daniel bryan versus triple h wrestlemania 30 uh first match of the night wonderful wonderful stuff and as we covered in that show very personally memorable for me as well so those are our top fives uh that match was my number six as well lovely and it's a curiosity team can you just run down your top five your original top five so it was danny bryan versus triple h undisputed era versus danny birch and only lorkin uh lucha bros versus young bucks bailey versus sasha banks brett versus owen 
Those are the top I five. mean, let's be honest, we're not going to kick any of these matches out of bed, are we? <laughs> um, I wish there was a way that on the WWE Network you could make a playlist oh, and yeah. you could like you know, share it because that would be phenomenal. It, uh, if anybody here is listening who works for WWE Network or Peacock, pull your fucking fingers out your asses. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? That they aren't investing anything in the network anymore because of Peacock. So I would be very, very surprised if any new feature such as that came out anytime soon. Okay, so let's let's cover the show we've got today, shall we? It's WCW Spring Stampede 1999. I mean, I do like WrestleMania season, but I'm always glad to get through it and start uh, working our way through other stuff, which is perhaps less likely to have been seen by us all. Although on this occasion, I did own this on VHS. So I will tell you about my expectations for this show first, which was that I had bought the VHS on the strength of the review in Powerslam at the time, because it was quite a glowing review. And what I was going to say is I remember it just being decent. That's my memory of it was it was just decent. Uh, And I think... Perhaps the review was reflective of the wrestling industry at the time. Pay-per-views, in terms of their in-ring quality, weren't particularly good around the time. Uh, so Paris Lam are quite favourable towards this one. But I was looking forward to it because, as I said, I hadn't watched it in some time since I last watched the VHS, would have been, which would have been many years ago, given I haven't had a VHS player for some time now. I can't remember when I last had one, in fact. So, yeah, looking forward to this one. Tom, what was your expectation? Yeah, it's, it's hard because I'm basically saying the same thing I say every time we watch the WCW pay-per-view. There's going to be some good wrestling and then there's going to be some absolute crap as well. I must admit, when I watched the opening video and there was a lot of footage of Goldberg versus and Kevin Nash in there, I was like, ooh, ugh. A Goldberg versus Kevin Nash match. I don't think I'm up for this at all. But it's, it's always different. That's the thing. It's always different watching a WCW pay-per-view considering how used I am to watching WWE pay-per-views. And also the fact is that it seems to be me. Like we covered a fair whack of them now. And there's so many different kind of phases and eras of WCW. So there's obviously like, you know, your Jim Crockett stuff. And then it goes into like your early 90s stuff. Then you get your NWO stuff. And then you get your end when it's really hot. Then you get your NWO when everyone's fed up of it then you get your absolute wcw's dying on its ass face over the course of about 20 years or not even maybe not even that 15 years so i never quite never quite sure what i'm gonna get but um i was looking forward to watching it as i always do with wcw pay-per-views premium events sorry premium events <laughs> i i i was i was middling about this i thought you were gonna break into song then <laughs> i was like oh yeah 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 <laughs> What's that song where he does that? I can't remember what it is. Oh, is is it Sandy there? again? <laughs> no. Oh, hey, you butchered. It was beautiful. I can't remember what it's called, but uh, I'm, I'm going to have to find out at some point. Yeah, sorry. Carry on. Apologies. <laughs> What's, sorry, so that interruption was, I thought you were going to sing that song that goes, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> yeah, the one, you know, the one. <laughs> that one. That's it. What the fuck is that? I Should Have Known Better by Jim Diamond. Come on, everyone knows that song. Anyway, to be honest, that's probably better than what I was going to say. Tinky going off on that note. I mean, you imagine, Tommy, can you imagine interrupting Tinky mid-flow with some absolute bollocks? We wouldn't do that, would we? Never. We wouldn't fucking dream of it. No, I, I apologise for that. I do apologise. Like, he's, he's done it. He's done it again there. <laughs> and if and if we did, he'd have our eyes. 
wouldn't he? <laughs> he would. He'd have eyes, and then he'd replace her eyes with her bollocks. And then eat her yeah. eyes, but, but, but we wouldn't be able to see it because we'd have bollocks for eyes. And, and eyes for bollocks. So you'd be having a shit, and he'd just be able to see the inside of the toilet bowl. He'd just be dangling <laughs> eyes and see the shit at the bottom of the bowl. It'd be horrible. And that's pretty much how I felt about this show, to be honest. <laughs> So who was that by Jim Duggan? Did you say <laughs> Jim Diamond? Oh. Axel, yeah. Axel Jim Diamond. Come on, it's obvious. Oh. Anyway, back to my important, important feelings about the show. <laughs> I was indifferent. Right. And uh, to be honest, that sums it up. I was like, I think this isn't going to be very good. That was where I was. But I was like, right, you can come in with that attitude. So I flogged myself with the old cat and nine tails. And then I sat down to watch it. And then we'll and, find out. And, and then what follows, follows. Yeah. I must say, I echo Tommy's comments on the opening video. So Goldberg, Kevin Nash. And then what is the four-way, which is the main event, which is DDP, Ric Flair, Hollywood Hogan and Sting. This was late 90s WCW. Early card, all right. Late card, not very good. And I was like, oh, there's nothing that's going to change my mind on that, mm. I must say. But you never know, do you? So you didn't, you didn't find that the generic show open with the generic rock and generic footage of the big names in the video particularly inspiring then? No, but the generic rock music in 1999, I'd have bought an album full of that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it kind of... Um, it kind of sounds a little bit like a song, and I can remember this song, and I meant to look it up, and I'm getting annoyed with myself now. Was it, was it by Hacks or Jim Duggan? No, it was by his brother, right. uh, Bim Juggan. But uh, no, no, it's a Pantera song. I'm broken. Sounds, yes, it is. By, yeah, Ken, it's, by Ken Pantera. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Um, two worlds collide for old man. Yeah. Um, no, that was what I thought. I wrote is a very Pantera esque song, and it sounds like I'm broken, which is the only Pantera song that I know. <laughs> so that's how I knew it, what it was. Yeah. Perhaps I think he could put I'm broken in the break. It's just a nice little melodic tune, nice and quiet, nice and relaxing for the listener. Very inoffensive. I need something yeah. because there was no there were no interviews on this from my memory. So I'm going to need something. I mean, I know we're talking about the show and we will talk about talking points in a minute. But seen as we brought up the video at the start, I, I thought I watched this and thought, I don't think anyone will know what the main event is from this video. <laughs> it just doesn't. It's like it's just got lots of generic big names in it. There's at least six or seven names. Hogan, Flair, Sting, Kevin Nash, Goldberg, Randy Savage, DDP. It's all a bit like, what is this? What's, what's going to be in the main event? It's like the opening of the weekly television show. Yeah, it is a bit. Isn't yeah. it? Rather than the week, there there's no kind of context between who's facing who. I mean, like I said, the fact that Kevin Ash and Goldberg, the clips of them were next to each other, like going back and forth against each other, made me think that was going to be a match. But yeah, the rest of it, I was like, hang on, I don't understand because there's five people. That, what's what's Macho Man's involvement? In it? What's, what's going? And again, this is where <laughs> this is this is where WWE or WWF at the time are like head and shoulders above WCW because they put the thought into those things, which WCW just don't. So let's go with talking points and we'll start with you, old man. What do you want to pick out from this show? I want to pick out the commentators. Right. Let's get down I mean, to it, shall we? The big, oh, the big stuff. <laughs> so we go through the show open, right? So you've got the video that we've talked through. And then uh, Tony Schiavone is there. So it's Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, 
is there in spirit, I think, probably how we'll have. <laughs> and then Mike today. And Tony Schiavone does an incredibly clunky intro that goes on for an interminable amount of time. And then he cuts to Bobby Heenan, who the only thing he could be basically be bothered to do is do a gesture with his hand. And then it cuts to Mike today, and Mike today reels off what he needs to say. Lovely. Perfect. And I think that is the perfect example of this commentary trio. Tony Schiavone is all over the place. If I didn't know better in that, I know that at this point in time, he was probably sick to the back teeth of WCW. I would have said he was drunk. He is that all over the place at times. Bobby Heenan is, and I love Bobby Heenan, but he is offensively indifferent to what's going on. And there's a bit during uh, one of the matches, which we'll get to when we go through the match, where Bobby Heenan effectively throws his toys at the pram and won't talk (laughs) for a bit. And it's fucking embarrassing. And I'm no Mike Tanay guy. Don't go wrong, but he is Jim Ross in his pomp next to these two. And I found it agonising to listen to and I know you've said before Tinky that you've become like a master at blocking out the commentary I tried to channel my inner Tinky so I was absolutely horrible to some old people because that's what Tinky does on the side (laughs) and then I thought after I've done that I'm going to try and block out the comment couldn't do it it's too bad it's awful I absolutely that was a Bone and bollock almost co- combined to be boner. So it's bollock crushingly bad. And it uh, really impacted, in particular, the early stages. With like I'd say probably the first four, possibly five matches, it really impacted my enjoyment ability. Enjoyability, let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> so I I could I didn't zone out the commentary this time and I couldn't and it, and the funny thing is is I actually find it quite quite endearing the commentary but it is bad I would totally agree with you it is bad but I find it quite funny how bad it is so I actually quite enjoy it on this one because as you say Tony Schiavone is sort of I don't know he's all over the place I don't know what what role he's supposed to be playing he's not really doing a play by play he's not really doing color he's not doing anything really he's just I, I, well I can't even explain what it is that he's doing Bobby Heenan as you say is completely indifferent also probably uh, this sounds awful and ageist but he is getting on and is not quite with it he's not as fast so when Tony Schiavone throws to him at the beginning he's kind of stumbling over every word he can't form any sentences whatsoever and as you said the best contribution he's got is some hand gesture gestures he throws a tantrum in one sh- one match as you said in the first match they're talking about Thunder because there's they're talking about previous matches. And Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan effectively completely diss Thunder as something worthwhile watching. You realise you're still working for the company who promotes that television show, don't you? But no. And all I can think of all the way through is, thank God Mike today's here, trying his best to keep this show on, on course. Well, it's funny you say that. So I've got, I, I echo all of your sentiments. The bit when Bobby Brainin, Bobby Brainin, I can, I can, I can, I can Bobby, there, Bobby I, Brainin. Yeah, like I've written, he's phoning in, and when he's breaking down the Kevin Nash Goldberg match, he can't remember anyone's names. He's just like, and then give it to um uh, uh um uh Kevin Nash is gonna, he's gonna go against the big um uh Goldberg, Goldberg, that's the one, and it is dreadful. And what you said about Mike Tenay there, Tinky, is exactly the reason where I've given him MVP of the night because he's having to sit next to these two fucktards the entire show. And also, I'm I was thinking about this, lads. I'm not going to do it for this segment, but I was thinking about maybe introducing a LVP 
least valuable person or Ooh. aka cunt of the night award <laughs> c-o-t-n and i was thinking about this i was gonna give it to tony Schiavone, but something really fucked me off later on in this card which saved tony Schiavone's skin but if any other of you want to give cunt of the night award to tony Schiavone, be my guest now he's yours he's fair game to anyone but he was dreadful and i've got notes littered throughout this entire document in front of me about stupid things and offensive and just wrong and crap stuff that Tony Schiavone says throughout this entire event so yeah I agree with your man the commentary is absolutely dreadful I watched it I know that we've watched um we watched like a, f- a handful of WCW pay-per-views latter WCW pay-per-views maybe like maybe this might be the I don't know third or fourth this is like properly the first time where I've gone like because you touched on the thunder thing Tinky mm. I was like no wonder they were fucked because when the booking is like I don't know like you can't overcome bad booking with good commentary but you can definitely make it a thousand times worse by just shitting on the product and they do that and I must say Tony Schiavone I was very disappointed in him I know from what he said like he pretty much hated his life at this point but I thought he was a professional I know we stumbled through uh, Beach Blast Beach Blast 96 was it? Um, You were talking about Bash of the Beach 95 Bash yeah, pretty much the same thing, mate. <laughs> yeah. and, it's got and a lot of the same elements, in fairness. Yeah. And, and that's, it's got the old sexy uh, the sexy wave muscle. Oh, oh, <laughs> but yeah, um, I thought, I was like, fuck, that, that was three years before. And they were fed up then. And now I realise it's four years before. And I'm like, well, maybe I can understand it. But yeah, terrible, terrible. I got the impression with Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan that they were just having a laugh, but in a bad way, in a, in a, mm. in a way that was like, oh, we just can't be fucked anymore. So we're just, we'll just entertain ourselves. And as I said, luckily, Mike Tanay's there to keep it on track somewhat. But yeah, I, I, I totally endorse your decision to make him MVP, Tom, because you're right. He works so hard to keep this on track during the show. He does. And he's constantly undermined as well. And the fact that he doesn't turn around and say to them, listen, you you old cunt and you might be old but you've been around for ages so you might be young i've got no how old no idea how old you are tony shironi cunt shut up <laughs> poor poor lad poor little lamb they address the fact that he's there and he's like an additional commentator that they wouldn't normally have mm. they kind of address that at the start and i kind of forgot that and then when we got i think it's the scott stoner book of tea match it suddenly popped into my head i was like fucking hell maybe that's why they had them there maybe old shivone and heenan maybe they were on the beers in the back maybe they were like we need mike to fucking carry this through as tom said we we need the professor the the only reason i didn't give tinay my mvp is because in that opening segment where the three of them are there stood you know sat doing the introduction mike tinay is looking incredibly smug <laughs> during that first bit <laughs> just look at him he's like got this lovely little smug grin on his face and he's looking around his nose is in the air a little bit and he's just like oh aren't I amazing I'm Mike Tanay and it just it just really makes me chuckle you go go back and watch it he looks great Tom what was your talking point you wanted to pick out from the show? I don't actually have a talking point about a specific match of the night. I wanted to focus in on the old crowd in Tacoma, Washington, because they're a contrary bunch of bastards, aren't they? <laughs> so they are. There's some steroid chants to all right. the to old Scott Steiner at some point. There's a boring chant during a Disco Inferno match, yeah. which they are really shitting over the horsemen, who I think are baby faces at that point. And yeah, it's just, they're a really, really strange crowd, really difficult to read. And enjoying the um, Goldberg 
uh, and Scott Steiner match, they're all over the place because they're both During the cheering. Goldberg Scott Steiner match, they're yeah. all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, during the, I, I'm working off of a different screen. I'm very confused. I'm um, during the Kevin Nash um, Goldberg match. Sorry, they're all over the shop because they are cheering both of them as if they're baby faces and they don't know what they're doing. It's just a really bizarre crowd. They, they, I think they're boo both Kidman and Rey Mysterio during their match. It's just a really, really weird crowd that I just couldn't really get my head around. And there are parts during some of the matches in the undercard where they're hauntingly quiet as well. That's just something I picked out as being a bit unusual about the show in a whole was was the crowd being weirdos. So let's let's focus in on the the horseman part of that and specifically let's talk about the tag team match because that's where a lot of this starts mm. it's a tag team match where you've got Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko against Raven and Perry Saturn now the Horsemen had reformed in sort of I think September October time of the year before to huge pop like a massive massive reception they got because Flair had been off television all of that year because of a big falling out he'd had with Eric Bischoff in real life so Flair came back he was joined by Benoit and Malenko and I think I want to say Steve McMichael, but that sounds yeah. wrong to me. No, that's right. That's um, right. In the Four Horsemen. And so that was massive. Then the Wolfpack formed as a whole group. So originally you had NWO Wolfpack and NWO Hollywood. And at the end of the year, in fact, I think the first Nitro of the new year in 99, they reformed as the NWO Elite Wolfpack, which is basically all the best from both of them in a new kind of super faction with everybody below the top tier kind of cut out although it did include disco inferno so that's a bit weird um <laughs> well it's to show that he's a top tier guy well yeah so then hogan and flair went into a feud and a main event feud that uh, went over a couple of pay-per-views and during the course of those couple of months they basically did a double turn but not by choice <laughs> basically the fans just said fuck rick flair we're not going to cheer for him anymore we're going to cheer for hogan instead even though they're the bad guys because they always fucking win anyway because the, the nwa always wins so we're going to cheer for hogan and we're going to boo rick flair and this is kind of where they are at this point is we don't want the four horsemen anymore and they're shit they're they're old and crap get rid of them i know obviously ben Malenko weren't necessarily in that category but the point is is that they just banded them all together and the wolf pack were baby faces in the main although as you said tom that then impacts the Goldberg Kevin Nash match because Goldberg definitely is not a heel so you're right it's all over the place and the Benoit Malenko versus Raven and Perry Saturn match let's talk about that because as I said we, we should talk about that 14 minutes in length this one and it ends when Raven hits a DDT on Malenko but Arn Anderson puts a chair on Raven and then Benoit hits a flying headbutt to the chair and Malenko gets the pin uh, Benoit is busted open after the match um, what did you think of the contest old man I thought this was really quite good. Don't you close to blowing my load for the rest of the show here, because this, it moves at a cracking little pace, this match. I mean, it's four decent guys in this match, so you kind of always forget how good Dean Malenko is, because his WWE run was cut so short by his injury, and also Vince, obviously, looking at him and going, ah, no, Dean. No, but uh, yeah, this is cracking stuff. Like I said, move at a good pace. There's some good action. But they've got this thing that runs through the whole show. It's just these stupid spots that come out of nowhere. So Perry Saturn sets up a table for some reason. Oh, now we know why. Because someone jumps off and tries to go through on him and it looks fucking brutal. And then you've got the end, which is absolutely horrendous. Which is Benoit, given everything we know about what ha- what's happened to Benoit and his history, doing the diving headbutt onto a chair. And that made my toes basically go in on themselves so that they're now my fingers 
watching that. It was absolutely horrible, but it was still really, really good. And this is my match of the night. It's a close one thing, but we'll get there. But um, yeah, like I said, really well done. It's the best put, definitely the best put together match on the card, undoubtedly, because up to this point, it's all up and down, all up and down, and a couple of the later matches are as well. But I thought this was very good stuff. I thought this match was decent. I won't go as far as Old Man. I didn't, I didn't like it as much as as he did, but it was good. Um, I got to give a shout out to both teams' music, both animal-related music, which is nice. There's the old nay, and then you hear all <laughs> these horses running, and then you get this this guitar, this <sighs> phenomenal guitar on the horseman, and then you get the. Which is the Ravens. Oh, and I thought I thought it was Sting for a minute. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sting goes. <laughs> Which, to be fair, he's got he's got a bit of a bird in him because he looks at the crow, hasn't he? But it's a great music. Yeah, loud horseman sucks chance, which is obviously where this conversation started from. There was a lovely bit where old um, Di Malenko, uh, I think it's on Perry Saturn, hits him with a drop kick straight into a German from Benoit, which is a lovely little move. And there's quite a lot of nice little double team moves in this, actually. There's a diving headbutt to stop a pin from Benoit, which, again, I'm not a big fan of the diving headbutt in general, but it's a, it's a very well-timed moment in the match. The hot tag for Raven is huge when he comes in. And... The crowd go mad when he hits a drop toe hold onto the chair. Then Saturn goes to the table, which is looks absolutely brutal. But the ending, I, I didn't I didn't like for two reasons. One, what you've already said then, old man. But obviously, Arn Anderson, who's on the rings on the ring side, comes in and the referee sees him really gingerly place a chair on top of uh, on top of Barry Saturn's head, and then off comes the top rope with um with with Benoit and it looks horrible and you can t- and you can tell by the fact that it's a real nasty impact because Benoit's bleeding and I don't think he's bladed there because why would you blade for the post match when you're never going to see it or get any benefit from it so he's hardwayed himself onto a chair head first from the top rope and as you said old man knowing what we know about him not particularly happy with that going on but it was a good match um and I also need to give a shout out because this is drawing old Saturn's unironic corset and skirt phase which is again very it's not quite the old wire string vest and berry that he wore at halloween havoc 98 <laughs> that we watched or whatever it was but it's uh it was it's a quite an interesting sartorial choice from the great man i got a feeling that that started when he lost a match against chris jericho earlier this year where he had to lose he had to wear a dress if he lost and <laughs> Um, contrary to actually disliking it, he seemed to take to it quite a lot and quite enjoyed it. Not that that's a problem in general, but the thing I think is a problem is that that was supposed to be his forfeit for having lost. So if he actually enjoyed it, it wasn't much of a forfeit, was it? Let's be honest. So I thought this was a really good match, too. I liked it a lot. The, what I really liked is that they build up to two finishes. They have a finish halfway through the match, which then doesn't come. And then they bring it down again and then build up to another one, which I really like. I just think, again, they just play in a little bit with the natural rhythms of a normal match. Just just lovely. A lovely little decision to, to do that. Love the drop kick into a German suplex. Raven of this period, throughout these three years, two years with WCW, I can love Raven during this period. I think he's just great. I don't understand why he's another one. There's a few people during the show and Raven, I guess you could argue Benoit um, and others will get to, could have been the next generation of main event talent in WCW. And I think that the amount to which Raven is over and the quality of his matches, I think we saw a match of, who was it he fought? I think it might have been Chris Jericho, actually. Uh, Halloween Havoc 98 lovely little match that was this was a lovely little match i've previously talked quite a lot about his match with saturn at 
the previous year's fall brawl which i really like too yeah i just really enjoy his matches i just think he's and he's super over he's got a cool character everything about him the thing that he didn't do well in wwe or i don't know maybe in wwe's choice is that here he's wearing a t-shirt of some kind of rock or punk band of some kind when he got to wwe they gave him his own t-shirts to wear and that was just a poor choice it just didn't feel just made the raven mm. character look a lot look a lot shit it's a small small decision but it just made it made it look a lot worse that's interesting as well because obviously the head shrinkers wore band t-shirts didn't they not the head shrinkers sorry the headbangers yeah. so it's odd that they would maybe maybe just, uh, like, maybe more, it was more his money choice. or yeah maybe, maybe. His choice. who knows but the point is it just didn't work as well anyway really enjoyed the match uh yeah really good one not my match of the night but really enjoyed the match. So my talking point, and I've been thinking about this for a bit because there's lots of different things I want to kind of think, I was thinking about, but I think what we'll do is we'll go straight to the main event because the broader theme for me is the fact that this is a four corners match. So the match is Ric Flair, who is the world champion against Hulk Hogan, against Sting, against Diamond Dallas Page, four corners match for the WWE World Heavyweight title. Randy Savage is a special guest referee. It's 17 minutes in length and it ends when DDP manages to get the victory after hitting a diamond diamond cutter on sting i believe or is it flair can't remember who one of the two um he's on flair thank you very much and gets and get and wins his first world championship so for me there is so much to unpack about this main event because first of all i saw live the episode or not live but live on british tv anyway the episode of nitro that came before this pay-per-view i remember seeing the end of it and the end is another four corners match of some kind can't remember who's in it but i'm pretty sure it's for the world title and i'm pretty sure flair's in it and i'm pretty sure hogan might be in it as well or maybe ddp but it's certainly a couple of these guys it's some variation on this match effectively and in it sting comes from down from the rafters points his baseball bat towards the screen there's some words that come up saying that this is going to be the main event of the pay-per-view and then it's revealed that match around randy savage is a special guest referee so this was savage's return to the company after being injured the previous spring so basically six days before the pay-per-view they announced the main event during another four-way dance for the world title and sting was the one who announced it i don't know how that works seeing as rick flair who is the world champion is also supposed to be wcw president at the time so what the fuck is going on there i have no clue when you've got somebody who is an authority figure or is aligned to an authority figure and that champion who is aligned to the authority figure or is the authority figure has to defend the title ever is already ridiculous because why would they they just go fuck it i'm not gonna or i'll just take on the easy you know easy easy matches the idea that you have any match is ridiculous but the idea that they're locked in this four-way match for the title where they don't even have to be beaten to lose the title is just so ridiculous it hurts also apparently they've had absolutely no say in it <laughs> and i don't know how like why have they had any say in it they're the wcw president and i think this really goes to the nub of the matter with wcw at this point so this is the first pay-per-view where it was really becoming clear that wcw were falling behind wwe in the monday night war because and, they, and don't get me wrong they had been progressively falling behind them but this is the first one where they were really gapped by WWE. So, give you the context, the Monday Night War really began in 1995 when 
Nitro would first come on to the air. They traded ratings, victories back and forth until the NWO angle started in mid-96. WCW then thrashed WWE for however many weeks it was in a row until about mid-98 when WWE started coming back with Austin and all that stuff. They then traded the advantage over the course of the rest of 98 and into 99, although WWE was starting to win more and more of the, the ratings battles. And then we got to this point, and after this point, really, WCW never won again. And the previous pay-per-view buy rates had been all right. They'd been quite decent. This was the first one where it really tailed off. And you can understand why when the match is uh, announced six days before and it's got such a ridiculous concept behind it. And so... For me, it just really summed up a lot about what was wrong with WCW at the time. As I said, in my expectations, I expected this to be a relatively decent in-ring show. But from a booking perspective, it is just all over the place. And this is really the nub of it, is this main event. Because it's just, we're going to spunk Flair, Hogan and Sting and DDP, for the biggest stars in the company, all in one match with Randy Savage as the guest referee. But we're going to tell you about it six days before it goes on the air. I and mean, what the fuck is that? It's terrible. On top of that... Dime Dallas Page gets his first ever world title win. He's a heel by this point as well, which is not maybe so clear during the show, but he is a heel during, during this one. So he finally reaches the top of the mountain, a, a moment that should have meant something massive. It should have really meant something, given everything we've seen from Diamond Dallas Page over his WCW career and his long journey to the top and the extent to which he's over as a babyface throughout that time. And then he wins the title in a throwaway manner like this as a heel on a show that nobody's watching because you've done nothing to promote it beforehand it's just really bad so the match itself i will say isn't terrible it's okay it's it's perfectly fine it's it's entertaining it's not great it's a bit sloppy here and there but it's fine it's fine it's just the booking is horrific and that's the thing i'd say that i'd see in my opinion that i did, obviously didn't know a lot of that context going into the match but i watched it and i just thought it was just a bit of a mess really especially when there's four of them in the ring until hogan so hogan basically gets his legs worked over he gets a put in a figure four by um by uh rick flair and he gets put in a figure four around the ring post by ddp and ends up getting carried out out of the back and from memory subsequently doesn't come back out again no and i think when the three of them when it comes back to the three to just sting rick flair and ddp it kind of levels out a little bit, but it's just carnage. It, when you see f- like a good four-way match, there's usually something going on outside the ring, which gives the focus to the, the other two people that are in the ring, and they go to do a sequence of moves or something like that to keep the match, you know, to keep the match flowing and, and engaging. That just doesn't happen. It's just a bit all over the place because when, like, when there are two people fighting outside the ring, the other two that are left in the ring are just like punching and kicking each other in a corner rather than actually doing anything of note to, to get you interested or try, attempting to tell a story. And it's just really not very good. Macho Man's fucking hair is, is the slick back hair. I can't deal with it, and I can't deal with his awful music. And he's the most ineffective referee I think I've ever seen in my life. You look at, you guys chatted about old Mr. Perfect in at WrestleMania 10, where he really goes all in with the old ref stripes on his uh, on his top and on his bottom matching man ain't got any of that he's got no no respect for the shirt <laughs> and his count it's not oh. scott armstrong but it's pretty fucking bad <laughs> but what i will say the speed in which he gets back up is incredible <laughs> he absolutely rifles back up to the back up to the standing bit but there's a couple of weird things in there so rick flair's chops 
are completely no-sold by everyone in the match, by Sting, by Hogan, and by DDP. But what I find so weird, and this is something I will never, ever understand about matches involving Sting, there's a period, when it goes down to three men, where he sort of stings, so that's to really assert his dominance in the match. And the crowd are going fucking mental for it. They're loving it. And I'm sat there going, my God, what's wrong with you? Tacoma, Washington. Sting's rubbish. <laughs> why are you getting, why, why is he so over and so popular? I just don't get it. But one thing I will say, the one, the one, the only good thing that the commentary team as a whole do is their energy really comes up when Sting's asserting his, his dominance in the match. And then it all gets to shit. But then out of nowhere, Randy Savage just hits an elbow on Flair when he's got a sting in the figure four. And it's just like, what, what was that all about? That, there's no kind of rhyme nor reason for it to happen, apparently. And then obviously DDP hits a cutter on Flair and wins the title. My summary of it is just, it was a bit crap. Yeah, I think that's the other thing as well. Like you, as you said, Randy Savage, elbow drops Ric Flair. Now, I don't mind that in, in and of itself without any explanation until maybe the next night or whatever, so long as it's the thing you are concentrating on coming out of the show. But it's not. You've got a new world champion and you've got an injured Hulk Hogan. <laughs> you've got two other things to concentrate on and this is randy savage's return so regardless of what he does in the match he's back so there's too many things to focus on from one match that should be coming out of this pay-per-view so that's another issue for me the point you made about the selling so there is no selling at all during the first five minutes of this match they're punching each other they're not even reacting to the punches so that they're not just not selling the pain of it they're not even selling the impact of it in the first place it's really odd um, i've also got to give a shout out to hulk hogan's punches Hollywood hogan's punches they are so unbelievably slow and lethargic. It is amazing. He is genuinely, it's like he's trying to like fluff a pillow or something like that. He, he's, there, he's just there going, uh, I know you guys can't see. Then you just can't see, but these two can. But they are, they are honestly, it's like slower than a snail who's particularly slow. <laughs> what an slower, analogy. Slower than I was getting to that analogy. <laughs> let's uh, address the sting thing i think sting's pretty good here he's the best in the match but that's not saying much and i think that is why he's so over and he also is clearly defined he's not a face in inverted commas because he doesn't pander to the crowd or anything but because of his character what he does he comes down from the the bleachers as they call it in america or as we call it the fucking roof so he comes down people love him so I don't really have any issue with Sting in this match. You boys have addressed it. It's the no selling in the match is just mystifying. I thought, given the fact that Hogan drops out and you've got Dallas Page, by comparison to the other two lads, very inexperienced. You've got what I think from uh, from the way that people aren't selling his chops and in incredibly demotivated Ric Flair and Sting. I think they do all right, given they've had to switch. Now, don't be wrong, it's not a fucking masterpiece, but we get one of the great spots in wrestling. It's one of the, oh, it's fan-fucking-tastic. You've got Sting's there, he's uh, uh, selling, well, a little bit of selling. Ric Flair comes, get that fucking sleep rolled in there. Get that sleep rolled in, lovely old job. Hey, what's DDP up to? Fucking hell, he's put Ric Flair in a sleeper. It's a double sleeper, which is fucking, oh, Oh, it made my night. And I think that that is reflective of the whole show in general. I was watching it yesterday evening and I was like, fuck it, that double sleeper. And then the finish happens and the finish is crap. And like you said, Tiggy, didn't have a clue that DDP was a heel. He celebrates like a face. He comes out like a face. And it's like, okay, what's going on? Savage does what he does. 
what I could not get my head around. Why doesn't he, just a very simple thing, why don't he go over, shake Savage's hand, Savage raises his hand, points to him, then Savage can walk off, because Savage just storms off. Savage, by the way, comes down to the ring with a valet. Gorgeous George. He's a fucking guest referee. (laughs) He's coming down with a valet, who then, poor lady, doesn't have to do anything, just stands there, but gets leched over by the commentators when she comes down. They obviously compare her to Gorgeous George, the little monkey. And uh, so we've got Savage, valet, terrible music. We've then got confused hill face dynamic, Hogan injured, double sleeper spot, terrible finish. And Tony Schiavone speaks the only bit of sense that he says through the whole show. His final line is a truly mind boggling end. And he's bloody right. (laughs) But again, I didn't hate this at all. I thought we talked about this last week, uh, me, Tinky and Matt with WrestleMania 1. It's expectation. And I was anticipating this in 1999 being fucking dreadful. And it was passable. It was like a nice a nice little banana after a run. <laughs> you, you kind of force it down, but you know it'll come out nice and easy and then it's done. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it isn't a bad match. It's perfectly fine. It's just really hideously booked. But I will pick you up on one thing, old man. Go on. When you talk about the little uh, bear, was it? Mm. Um, that's Curious George you're thinking of, I believe. Oh, who's Gorgeous Go- George? Gorgeous George is the um, revolutionary wrestler from the 50s who was basically kind of pranced around and was the first to do the mm. sort of prancing, preening kind of heel. So that's what they've, that's what they're drawing on here. It does make more sense because I must say, I did find it very confused. I was like, why are they saying that they prefer her to this cute little monkey? <laughs> monkey, that's and, it, not bear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And don't get me wrong, like, Gorgeous George... It's an attractive woman, but I was still a bit like, hang on, this is a cute little teddy bear. Well, we know your opinion on teddy bears, mate. No wonder they're on your mind. It's not just an opinion, oh, uh, Tom. It is a way of life. Yeah, it's a, it's a way of ejaculating. <laughs> Which is also a way of life. Different kind of way of life, but you know what I'm talking about. So, anyway. Hey, difference not always bad, though, is it? Well, I didn't say it was bad. Didn't, no, no, no. I, I, I'm not accusing you. I didn't say it was bad, all right? <laughs> <laughs> so let's well, uh, let's, I did. It's fucking bad. <laughs> let's take a break. Uh we'll come back when and we can wipe the rabid foam from our chins and start. <laughs> I'll see you in a second. I'm just gonna uh wipe my teddy clean as well. Alrighty for later. Crying cause the 
So welcome back. So we're going to go through now the show in chronological order of the show happening. And we will start with a sign in the crowd, which is quite a way back. But because you're seeing it from quite high up, you can see some of the crowds from through the back. And the sign says, kick flare in the dentures. <laughs> that's, that's the sign. That's very good. So there's also a sign, just as the uh, opening match uh, is about to begin. <laughs> Hogan loves scat. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably not far from the truth. No. No. It was, yeah. It's, it's one of those weird things, actually. It's very unusual for me to not pick up on a sign, but I watched a lot of this on my uh, my phone. So that was why I wouldn't be able, be able to get those finer details. It was disappointing. Old man's like looking, and I, um, I'm thinking the same thing, but old man's looking confused. Like, why would you do this? Because I watched a lot of it when Baby Shinsuke was asleep on me, and I didn't want to watch it on the TV in case she was woken up by Tony Sharoni's dreadful commentary. So I plugged my headphones in to my phone and watched mm. it on that whilst I held her. Fair. I was going to say, if anything, the commentary might have helped her sleep better. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> First match of the night is Juventud Guerrero versus Blitzkrieg for a shot tomorrow on Nitro for the Cruiserweight title. This one goes for just over 11 minutes and ends with a super hoovy driver from the top rope to give Juventud Guerrero the victory. So, Tom, let's start with your thoughts on this one. I didn't mind this match, actually. I remember, I don't know why, but I've got a vague memory of Blitzkrieg. From I think it's from this match. Because very, I had it on VHS, and so I've probably seen it. Yeah, very possibly. And he's bloody good. He's really good, considering how he was not very long in the wrestling business at that point. And he retired, like, the next year, actually, which is, or maybe even that year. So he had very a very, very short run. He he is great in this match, and Hooventude is very good as well, although I don't like him without the mask. I'm not up for it, and there's a bit there. I'll come on to someone else later on about that. Commentary, old man. Mm-hmm. This, I think this might be one of the bits you touched on. Tanay goes on about the risks involved with, you know, these high-risk moves in cruiserweight matches, to which the brain responds with, who cares? And it completely undermines his point, which is yep. really, really annoying. I must admit, I've got to give a shout-out. Special honourable mention, not MVP, obviously, but Charles Robinson, even by his standards, his hair and tan are absolutely mm. phenomenal in this. He's in his prime. It's pretty smooth, and there's some actual selling in this match, which you don't often see in the WCW cruiserweight match, I, I thought, anyway, more so than I was expecting. And I really like the bit where um, Blitzkrieg hits a splash off the top rope to the outside, and then Hoovy hits a drop kick in response, which I thought was a really, really cool spot. And I like that the story done of the match, if there was one, was that, that Hooventude has a bit more experience and has a bit more of an upper hand in the match, which I quite liked. I've got a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of trivia for you lads about old Blitzkrieg. He debuted in November the 7th, 1994, for All Pro Wrestling under the name Fabulous Blitzkrieg, which oh, yes. I think is, is lovely. And he took part in a tag team match with hellblazer and a losing effort to mr excitement and suicide kid so in one match you've got fabulous hell excitement and suicide and that is that is a real, you're running the real gambit of emotions going through a match with participants like that and then he retired in in october of this year of not this year of uh 1999 to become working full-time as a computer technician so there we go it's a bit of trivia about all the blitzkrieg there for you which i don't think you that you thought you were going to get but I thought this was a really good match I, I really enjoyed it good nice opener and yeah I thought it was I thought it was fairly fairly fun the Hoovy driver off the top rope is fucking mental um, but it looks quite safe and everything that, that old Blitzy does looks quite controlled and he looks like he's in control of himself which which again I wasn't necessarily expecting so yeah good match I like this one Blitzkrieg, the old Blitzkrieg Bob, 23 at this point. Juventud Guerrero, 24. Little youngsters. And uh, 
I thought this was incredibly clunky and it was get from one spot to the next spot in as effective a way that we can, but they don't manage to get that right very often. To be honest, there's a couple of, uh, within a few minutes, there's a couple of terrible botches on the top rope that they shouldn't be doing that. I think one of them looks particularly horrible, to be honest. The finish is as Tommy said, it's fucking amazing. And because of what they were trying to do on the top rope before, I was quietly terrified that one or both of them might die. But it looks fantastic. But I really did not think this was very good at all. Like, I'll be honest, contrary to Tommy, like I said, just found it really clunky. One of them gets a title shot the next night. And they they play into that, in fairness, to the commentators. They're like, oh, how are they going to do this again tomorrow night? But hopefully they did it better the next night. Because, yeah, this... Not for me, unfortunately. Mm, okay. We've got the full gamut here because this is my Ooh. match of the night. This is my match is it? of the night. Yeah. So first of all, I should address the things you said because I actually think you're right. There are some really quite messy and botched moments here. There, as you said, there's one bit on the top rope where they're both there and they kind of come down and they manage to both stay safe and they manage to sort of get away with it, but it is definitely botched. And there's another botch a little bit later as well. But the set pieces they do are really quite cool, are really, really cool. So the drop kick, as you said, Tom, which Hoovy does as Blitzree comes off the top, the springboard moonsault. The height and the the lift that Blitzry gets on it when he goes outside on Hooven Dude is just spectacular. It's just textbook. I think it's a really fun, really exciting high-flying match that I do agree does have some messy bits. And I think if it didn't have those messy bits, I would be absolutely screaming from the rooftops that this is a phenomenal match because I genuinely thought the stuff they did outside of that was really, really good. And Blitzry is such a weird person in terms of the fact that he'd been a wrestler only for five years he had only been in wcw at this point for a couple of months would retire before the end of the year came along still quite well remembered by a lot of people and kind of people still talk about his matches today he wrestled for the cruiserweight title on nitro or and or thunder he had some matches on pay-per-view and then just disappeared <laughs> and that was it really really strange career for that reason he's my mvp well his computers weren't going to fix themselves were they that's that's absolutely true can't argue with that yeah i just i just liked a lot of what they did but i also completely understand what you're saying old man it is mm. clunky and there are some real botches but along with that there's just some really really nice stuff and i really liked it yeah i just didn't feel like there was anything in between those spots that they were trying to do that's fair i i don't necessarily agree but i can this isn't one of those things where i'm like how could you think that i completely understand why hmm. you'd you'd um, and it might be that partially my uh enjoyment of this is that i have seen it a number of times there are a number mm. of spots that i am waiting for and looking forward to there's one bit which they don't even make anything of on the commentary and it doesn't get any kind of reaction from the crowd but blitzry just runs up hoovy's body and jumps backwards mm. off of him i just think it's just lovely isn't there so many good bits of it but th- there are some botches definitely there's also i think an element of how you um the sort of wrestling that you tend to like because old, old man you tend to grab like you really like so, like we've talked about this before but like you're quite a fan of like not not slow paced but you like a more like story based matches that tend to like grow a bit more organically don't you whereas obviously cruiserweight matches don't really have that um no. and it's like a personal preference isn't it and i i quite like watching cruiserweight and luchador matches because i like the the theatricality of it and and to some extent i like the absurdity of it as well and i can also i think as well and i something i thought about this match in this match and in another cruiserweight match that we'll get onto later thinking about so there are some ridiculous high impact moves in some of these matches but in my mind i've managed to 
change the rationale and that even though they are really big impact moves they're not as impactful as if they would be if they were done by a bigger person therefore their recovery time is quicker from it so i've kind of worked myself into thinking that that's a mm. that's a way you can get away without having to sell all the massive moves all the times that go into those matches so that's that's why but it's it's, it's definitely an interesting that we come at it from quite different angles and tinky sits somewhere in the middle i think but obviously really really enjoyed this one i just want stuff to mean stuff i know not every single move can mean something but my issue with and you are right tommy big school get onto this in the other cruiserweight match they're i think better at addressing this but like i don't feel like they're trying to win at all we had this the other the other week with a whole pay-per-view that uh myself tinky and matt covered and uh yeah there's a lot of i don't know and i think also uh, my memory of it is tainted by what comes after it as well <laughs> the next match i think and unfortunately i'm trying to get away from that but i can't because and we'll get into this but i think the first fucking hour of this card is i don't know like having your knees cut off with a bread knife smothered in dog poo <laughs> well so you've got the smell of the dog poo and agony in your knees i think the agony is probably going to be worse and, and also an inability to bend your legs after yeah there's yeah. long-standing ramifications and they probably still smell like dog poo and they're probably infected because of the dog food poo yeah. on the night oh, your pussy legs all the yeah. sort of <laughs> running out of your legs uh, dog poo dog poo stick smelly dog poo wipe it here wipe it there <laughs> <laughs> that is that is rick now in drop dead fred <laughs> right okay so next up we get the video of the build-up to hack versus bigelow with hack being avalanched into barbed wire on nitro and then the pair brawling backstage and hack using a fire extinguisher on bigelow again on nitro it precedes the hardcore hack bigelow match uh, Hawker Hack, of course, is the Sandman. This is an 11 and a half minute match. Hack has got Chastity, who is Raven's sister, with him as his sort of valet. And it ends when Bigelow uh, hits greetings from Aysbury Park through a table from the top rope for the win. So, oh man, you've already started to talk about it. So why don't you uh, why don't you continue? Oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? I mean, it's <laughs> absolutely, it's absolutely good. So we've got the um the just uh, te- so right. We've talked about Jerry Lawler. <laughs> compose we've yourself, old man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So take a beat, have a quick second, yeah. compose yourself. <laughs> so we've talked about Jerry Lawler on this pay per view. On this pay per view, you know what? It should be pay per view actually, or pay per listen. But um, yeah, we talked about how he's horrendously perverse. The one thing about Lawler, and it's not a good thing, but he commits. He commits to being an odious pervert. These three guys, talking about chastity, are dancing around it. And in a really weird way, that's worse. Because they're being really horribly pervy. But all three of them are. No, I want, I do, I really do want to stick up for Mike Tanay on this point. Yeah. Because he's Tony, masturbating through the whole thing. <laughs> Tony Schiavone is like going at him saying, What do you think of Chastity, Mike? What do you think? Like trying to get him to be privy. And Mike Tanay does everything he can to avoid answering the question and turns around and says, Chastity's a really, uh, really been really interesting since she, since she, she arrived here in WCW. Um, and since joining Sandman, she's got a new intensity about her. And so I was like, I, I was like, Fair play, Tanay. He is doing everything he can. And he does. He tries to come at it from a storyline angle. And then Tony Schiavone goes, 
I was talking about her looks. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And then, and then he's like, "What is your wife watching this?" And he goes, "No." And he goes, "Well, why don't you say it then?" You know what I mean? And just like, Ugh, uh, that's that is that is worse mm-hmm. because he's actively, like you said, old man, Sharoni's actively trying to make him creepy and pervy. I think the criticism is fair. I just wanted Mike yeah. Tanay to be defended because he really does his best here. That's my MVP yeah. you're talking about, old man. It's true. Show some fucking respect. <laughs> well, and, uh, all right, yeah, why not? You're talking about my LVP when you talk about Tony Schiavone. No, sorry, but, C-O-T-W. Yeah. So... This match. This is right up your alley. Oh. <laughs> so it's just a perfect. So they start having a little scrap in the thing, in the um, in the thing, you know, the thing, oh, the thing, in the walkway, <laughs> the aisle, the thing, and yeah. then then they go over to this um like thing horse trailer, horse pulled trailer, and there's a table there. No, I could be honest. Why wouldn't there be a table? It's a horse drawn trailer. This is a genuine thing as well. They've got to be used to store stuff. Commentators are like, oh, Sa- uh, Hack. I'm just going to call him Sandman because I'm going to forget. Sandman. They go, oh, he must have hidden a table in there. <laughs> Sorry, there, there could be a table there. And uh, old Sanders, old Colonel, gives old Bammers a couple of punches and then does a uh, senton off the top of the horse drawn carriage. But which I must say, right, he's a big old unit, Sandman. And obviously big, bigger as is as well. But uh, it's completely no sold by anyone. And I was like, oh, this is, oh, no. Because that's a big old move. And I'm like, oh, they're not selling anything. Can we um, replace the, the senton is very similar to the old Tommy Dreamer, me falling down stairs while pissed, <laughs> uh, which is what I think we should call it, the Tom, the Tom falling down spot, because there's no technique in that at all. It's just a little, like a forward roll and a slight flop onto the table. It, oh, God, yeah. it's awful. I think the word you're looking for is stagecoach, man. Oh, yeah, well, horse-drawn carriage, whatever. So uh, this draws from the commentators laughter. They just laugh. <laughs> And I'm like, you're just no-selling everything. And I know that this is just the start of it, so they're no-selling it. And then uh, old Tony Schiavone, old COTW, says, will the winner of this prove anything at all? No one answers it because no no one wants to go anywhere near it because it's like a grenade that they don't want to touch. But yeah, it's just really crap. And then they just hit each other and they have various spots. There's <laughs> So a uh, table set up between the barricade and the ring and hack has to pull the barricade so that the table will stay there they then show this so the commentators then remind us about this so that any surprise about the spot that is going to happen that is absolutely stupid because hack just climbs up on the top rope for no reason and bam bam big goes oh cool and just like throws them off through it. A thick old table. I mean, it's not it's not a friendly bump. But uh, there's also a uh, horrendous shot from Hack to to old Bammers with a baking tray to his head, which is absolutely brutal. Then there's a ladder table spot where for some reason Bam Bigelow is on the side outside the ring on the apron, and the, this table has been reset up by Chastity. Then Sandman gets a ladder, so he's got a ladder out. He then climbs this ladder, but he sets up so it's obvious what's going to happen and then he just stands there and waits for Bam Bam Bigelow to throw him <laughs> through the table and I'm like fuck me lads and it's 
11 and a half minutes. <laughs> I mean, th- th- this is a six-minute car crash of a match. Get it done. I wouldn't have been so horribly bored by it. But my God, it's terrible. And then Bam Bam Bigelow at the end. That's hardcore. That's hardcore. That's hardcore. He's just shouting it over and over. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's crap. And you're better than this. The match he had with Lawrence Taylor, who was an NFL, well, four NFL player, is a thousand times better than this. And I found it soul-destroying, to be honest. <laughs> it's just really, really crap. So I, I, I get the impression, oh man, that you are taking on the Matt from last week role for this particular show. Well, we've had the tag match. I've given That's that true. match the That's night. True. Yeah, That's I, I was big on that. And it does get better, but this was uh this was the low point, I must say. You know what? Fuck it. Match of the night. Come on. <laughs> so, so Tom, was it the low point of the night or the match of the night? It is definitely it's definitely a low point, but at the same time, I'm looking at my notes for this as well. And it is so fucking stupid, this match, right? The match is so bad that at one point, Bobby the Brain Heenan starts talking about curling. Um yeah. <laughs> for no reason. Tony Schiavone is awful in this match he fucking buries everything including the trash cans he keeps saying about how the trash cans aren't gonna hurt at all thus completely negating any point in them despite the fact that we know they're real thin and stupid but there's a bit there's a bit bit where Bam Bam Bigelow puts a salad bowl on Hack's head (laughs) and punches it (laughs) This is such a crap song. And then, and then there's a bit. Hang on, before you move on to the next bit, you know what Heenan says to that, though, don't you? What's that? <laughs> the salad bowl goes on his head. And he goes, oh, look, it's a monocle out of somebody's eye. <laughs> So the one one positive thing he says in the entire show. And, and then at one point as well, Hack hits the worst attempt at dropkick I think I've ever seen in my life. I think he gets up to Bam Bam's waist. <laughs> I actually laughed out loud. I actually had a proper belly to myself belly laugh when I watched it. It's just really crap. And, and Bam Bam does have a lovely time with the fire extinguisher because he gets the fire extinguisher and blasts old chastity with it, who, as, as old man said, Tony Chironi says, who's coming into her own he hits her with the fire extinguisher and then just starts spraying it around going yeah which to be fair i think we've all wanted to do that so i can't i can't blame bam bam for that uh, but it's really long for what it is like old man said if, it, if this match was six minutes it still wouldn't be good but at least it wouldn't be offensively long um and the fact that bam bam wins with a move which is named after a bruce springsteen album i cannot be mad at but i guess the big difference between like these hardcore matches and the WWF hardcore matches despite the fact that we've just spent the last 10 minutes taking the piss out of it they're not fun they're not fun in the slightest they seemingly take themselves like the actual match in itself seems to take itself really seriously but without there being any reason to be you know it's not they should be absurd they should be fun and they're not fun and that's the worst thing about it the one thing I will say and this is when I noted it because obviously they go up to the stages and fight amongst the stagecoaches and the bales of hay I love the crap sets that WCW have for their for their themed arenas I love this I love the way they do Halloween Havoc when they've got the graveyard and the gargoyles and all that sort of shit and and like the beach settings for like Bash at the Beach and stuff like that so I love all that but yeah it is awful and and that fucking sent on that their hack hits on Bam Bam off the top of the stage coach is so fucking bad. It's oh, lovely stuff. Match the night. I'm with old man. 
So I don't hate it at all. I, I disagree with your last statement there, Tom, which is that it's not fun. I think this is tremendous fun. I think this is absolutely rollicking fun. It's not good. It's technically dreadful. It is technically dreadful. There's no story. It is just beat the shit out of each other with any weapon that comes to hand. And we've seen other matches like that. We've seen a few Terry Funk matches like that in WWE before. The difference here is if you're going to do it, go all the fucking way. Go all in. Throw yourself off a stagecoach immediately in the aisle onto a table which is seems far too far away for Hack to manage to land and still manages to do it. Have him go from a ladder to a table and smash himself through it. Have them bring a guardrail into the ring. Have Bam Bam Bigelow do the greetings from Avery Park, which is basically another Hoobie driver, again off the top rope, through a table, onto a fire extinguisher, which they failed to move out of the way. (laughs) Just go all the way. I think it's tremendous fun. It's a silly, rubbishy match with no story, no technique whatsoever on show. But I don't care. I think it's a really fun piece of work. And I think it fits well after the previous match, too. I think there's just it's just very different. It's just really, really different. And I know I think I know where you were going in Iran, old man, when you said that they've kind of cut the legs off the show. Because to start with, when you're doing all this in the first two matches, it's going to be hard for them to get the crowd back on back on side after such quote unquote action. But I thought this was tremendous fun from two people who, in fairness, I do trust a little bit more to do a match like this this well which i don't really trust people like norman smiley to do this kind of match well he's the greatest mate show some respect i take norman smiley bumming terry funk (laughs) any day of the week over this well that's fair enough we all have different things we enjoy i just enjoy this match i think it's just tremendous fun even to the point where i think the commentators work well here because as i said they just do not care and don't get me wrong none of it All of this shouldn't work. It's all the elements that are wrong. It's two people beating the crap out of each other, doing stuff to their body they shouldn't be doing for very little payoff, and the commentators aren't taking it seriously. So it's all a bit stupid and shit. But for some reason, all of it for me as a total package works really well, even to the final line of the commentary, which is where Tony Schiavone says, folks, be smart, don't try this at home. And he he then responds, no, try it in your living room instead, which I think is just, and they're just having an absolute laugh of it. It doesn't make sense because the living room is still in your home but that's what he says they are just they're like laughing through it and i know that that's kind of an insult but given how shit you think the match is anyway it doesn't matter so i just i think it's fun see i think that if the commentators were selling what they're doing I don't think I would hate it anywhere near as much. But the commentators give you no reason to care. And these are two people I don't care about anyway. But give me at least something. And like I said, as soon as they laugh, and they're not laughing, they're like, oh my God, then this is just the start. What are these guys going to do to each other? It's just a, (laughs) look how stupid that is kind of laugh. It's like, ah, ah. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I think as well that there's something about the when you look tonight yeah exactly there's something about the way that we did these matches which were they were just more fun i thought they, they were a bit more innovative you know the, you think about the old al snow and bob holly fighting out in the lake i i usually agree with your assessment of that but here i don't agree i think this is tremendous fun no it didn't, didn't do it for me i will say and this is partly people in the ring and partly the commentary as well. But if this had happened on a WWE pay-per-view and it had been, yeah, why not, Al Stowe versus Hardcore Holly with Jim Ross and King commentating, I would have liked this. I think it all comes down to the commentary for me. Always comes Five. back to that old commentary. It, it, does. it does. It does. 
it impacts so much of your viewing experience, which it makes sense. They are the soundtrack to the matches. So, you know, it makes sense. Well, they're lucky that I didn't turn it off and listen to some white noise instead. The really, like, horrible white noise. The Seamus movie, you mean? Yeah. Right. Next match, Scotty Riggs versus Mikey Whipwreck. Seven minutes in length, this one, and Riggs hits a running forearm off the rope for a win out of nowhere. Tom, your thoughts on this one? Well, it's an unexpected match, which we always love. Bonus match. Yeah, which we always love. When uh, Scotty Riggs comes down, he's talking about how handsome he is. And he does the old Rick Rude slash Val Venus hands on the head hip swivel with no conviction at all. (laughs) And it's very, very poor. I I dread to think what old man thought about that. I've got almost no notes on this match. Because I don't think I was paying attention to it because I was so disinterested. I'd say I wouldn't necessarily say I was bored. I was just like I don't care about this. I don't know who Scotty Riggs is. I know of Mikey Whitbreck. I didn't know he was ever in WCW, and I know that his kind of thing in ECW. Correct me if I'm wrong, thinking he was basically a guy who basically just got the shit kicked out of him, never won, and then inexplicably won tag team championship with Cactus Jack or something like that. Is that what yeah, happened? He, he was the the ultimate underdog, but I think he even won. He may have even won the world title, you know, as in, yeah. in that in that role. But yes, um, he was. He was the ultimate underdog. But he's he's one of these guys that you know is not going to work outside of that ECW, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Outside of that, the realm of ECW, you know, because and there's there's loads of them. In fact, there's loads on this card, I think, as well, where you look at, like, someone like Scotty Riggs, or you look at, sorry, not Scotty Riggs, you look at Mikey Whitbreck, you look at, like, in my opinion, someone like the Sandman. Do you know what I mean? Like, these people who are never going to be anything outside of outside of ECW. Tommy Dreamer, I think you could probably put in that category as well, as someone who's never going to be en- make uh, amount to anything outside of outside of ECW. And, and I'm just watching it, I'm like, well, Mikey Whitbreck doesn't even look like a wrestler he's got an awful do-rag on there's a there is one horrible moment where he's getting choked over the top rope and he does a horrible dribble spot where he's just there just dribbling and they're a boring chance and like i said earlier i wouldn't do boring chance because they're out there and they're trying their best but i i couldn't disagree with them and Riggs wins as you said thinking with a flying forearm and it's all pretty unimpressive to me but luckily it's not very long but I still think it's a little bit longer than it should have been. Considering uh, WrestleMania 26, this match lasts longer than the CM Punk Rey Mysterio match is is quite the insult to wrestling. So yeah, I didn't think this was very good. But who who was the who was the party that insulted wrestling? Was it WCW for making this match so long, or WWE for making that match so short? I'm going to say both of them. Fair enough. <laughs> Old man, I will fall on the WWE side of that fence in that debate. I think they insulted wrestling. Riggs is a bargain basement Valvinus, <laughs> like dollar store Valvinus. And like Tommy said, he's not even fully invested. He comes down with this um this mirror, so he's just looking in this mirror, which looks like they've just bought it in boots or somewhere like that. <laughs> and uh they've written on the back really poorly in like pale green marker pen, better looking every day. But it took me about three attempts to read it. And to be honest, that pretty much set their stool out this is obviously lobbed together like they say it's a bonus match nothing in the match tells me that it's any different than that it's just nothing there's no like there's no story because there isn't really any story between these two and i don't think in the matches so far in my opinion but because of that there's no like there's no flow i know they only get seven minutes but there's just nothing to it and then it's over and the most offensive thing is the spit spot and like tommy said it's just really odd and there's also a enormous lack of selling which i had a major problem with but then i was like well actually I've just watched Bam Bam Bigelow and Hackman 
not said anything given what they were doing to each other. And I was like, well, it kind of seems a bit churlish to be criticising them for that. But yeah, not this isn't this isn't very good, is it? Let's be honest, the poor little lambs. So I, I'm not going to defend this one. You'll be pleased to know. Um, <laughs> no, no, defend it. <laughs> well, I'll defend it from this perspective. What they've done here is they've repackaged Scotty Riggs. And it's just recently repackaged, obviously, because they're trying to get him over. He gets the victory here. And I applaud them for repackaging someone and trying something new with them. Because that's what WWE did in 1997 and 1998. And it's why the product became so hot. I think I've spoken about this many times. Someone like The Godfather, for example, repackaged loads of times. And they finally found the thing that he was meant to do, which was the pimp gimmick. And that is what... WCW are trying to do here with Scotty Riggs, who's been around for quite some time, is a WCW long-serving guy, but who is doing nothing and they've got nothing from to do. So they're just giving him a new gimmick. I applaud their effort in that respect. I don't applaud the fact that Scotty Riggs clearly isn't suited to the gimmick. So they've obviously not really got it right this on this occasion, and they never get it right, obviously. I also don't applaud the fact that they're up against, he's up against Mikey Whipbreck, who, as you said, Tom, doesn't look like a wrestler. And yet, Mikey Whipbreck gets the majority of the offense during this seven-minute match, which is ridiculous. This is why it should be three minutes. Scotty Riggs should come out, dominate the match, win out of there, and they accomplish a small step on them trying to repackage and repush Scotty Riggs. But that's not what happens. They have an overly long match, which Mikey Whipwreck dominates and completely undercuts any sense of a push that Scotty Riggs might actually get from it. So it's badly booked. It's not important. I will defend the fact that it's not advertised prior to the show and doesn't mean anything because we've already talked about the fact that the main event was barely advertised beforehand. <laughs> so you can't be too angry with it. They didn't. They didn't There's a lot on this show they didn't announce beforehand, but it's for me the worst match on the show. So if the main event gets six days... How long should this match have got if it had been announced beforehand? Six or minutes. Ratio? Six minutes before. So they could have, or they didn't have Twitter back then. They could have gone to WCW.com from their internet location, yep. which we'll see later, and uh, put out a little message on some kind of message board saying, we're getting Scotty Riggs and uh, an old uh, Mikey Whipwreck. Good to know. Yep. So I'm glad we're talking about Mikey Whipwreck. So that brings us nicely on to our first of possibly two Byron Faxton of the week. So, Mikey Whipwreck, John Michael Watson, is now working for All Elite Wrestling as a trainer and global ambassador. Byron Faxton of the week. Global ambassador? <laughs> no yeah. Way. Do you think he hosts receptions and serves them up for Aero Roche? Oh, well, lovely. Oh, if he did, I'd be there. We'd all be there. Yeah, that would get me invested in AEW. Fair enough. So next up, a video plays of Disco and Conan's build-up, which, to be honest, was a mess. Didn't really understand any of it. All I got from it was Conan's got some kind of music video and Disco Inferno is taking the mick out of it. But it it wasn't very coherent, so I had no idea beyond that what we were supposed to get from this no it took until they uh started the match and they mentioned it that i realized that it wasn't disco inferno like a music video so yeah. I was like, actually this is pretty good <laughs> so conan versus disco inferno is up next it's a nine and a bit minute match and it ends when conan hits the last dance which is a stone cold stunner which is disco inferno's move and gets a pin let's start with uh who went first last time let's start with you old man cool conan comes down to the ring with what I could only describe as an aggressively tucked in top. He's re- <laughs> so he's wearing a uh, an American football jersey, but I think it's the number 82 one. And on the back, it's K-Dog. 
And I'm like, hang on a minute. And then he gets in and he's got a little bit that he does with a microphone. And I'm like, hang on a minute. Gets the crowd involved at the end. Hang on. K Dog, D O double G. And then in the match, he does some crotch grabbing and crotch thrusting in the direction of a disco inferno. I was like, I've seen this before. And it's the road dog. And I was like, they've just literally ripped off the road dog. And then I was like, why would you rip off the road dog? Of all the wrestlers in the world that you can rip off, why would you rip off the road dog? Now, admittedly, it's very over at this time, the old doggerator. But uh, yeah, very strange. But that's by the by, really. Because we got Disco Inferno in there. And his music hits. Fucking amazing. Absolutely amazing. And then, what's this? A little video of him in a disco ball. <laughs> well, like, like it's the film of him walking to the ring and it's in a disco ball. And I was all in on that. And I was like, this match is going to be fucking amazing. And it's not. And I was disappointed. We've talked about this before. They obviously don't have agents. They don't have people helping them put their matches together. And if they do, they all deserve to be shot. Because, again, there's no... There's no rhyme or reason for the match. It's sloppy. There's missed moves. There's a couple of little spots that I haven't really noted down. <laughs> True to form, I can't read that. No, I've, uh... <laughs> no, I've read. Um, there's no selling. I think zero selling. Like Conan. Conan's really weird. So he gets hit with a couple of like quite high impact, in inverted commas, moves by Disco Inferno. Doesn't sell those. And then I think he gets like punched in the face. He's selling that. Like he's been run over by a truck. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. And uh, we're going the full gambit here. So we've gone on the commentators. We're not going to get on the referees back. <laughs> because uh, there are three times where the referee counts and he can't see the person's shoulders because he's totally <laughs> on the wrong side. And I'm like, come on, this is basics. Especially when you've got some fantastic refereeing by Radley Anderson to make sure he's in the right position later on on the card. But yeah, this isn't good. There's a terrible botchy looking finish as well. I'm not having a good time here, boys, at this point. <laughs> I'm really not. I think this is about 45 minutes to an hour in. And I'm like, I'm just starting to have had enough. Like, talking through this, I've lived it. So it's all kind of built up and built up. But at this point, I'm like, how am I going to get through it, lads? I'll get through it because I'm a fucking professional. But yeah, not very good. Also, about what I expected. Very surprised you missed this bit, old man. Disco Inferno, when he comes out, sparkly cowboy hat and shirt. And he starts <laughs> and he starts finger shooting the crowd. He's like, yeah, <laughs> it's so very much enjoyed. Um, also, a great bit of commentary from Mike Tanay says that Disco Inferno is musically challenged as well. Yeah. Yeah, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Conan's also got very high pants as well. Let's get the important stuff out of the way as well. Very high pants. But about Conan, it's, I find him so weird because he's always really over. Every time I've seen him, he's always been really, really over. And he's not good in the ring. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, like Tinky again. Like I'm pretty sure he has like a big kind of reputation amongst a lot of the luchadors that came over. And I've got a feeling like he may have been like some kind of like an ambassador almost. Like he was like the guy who they looked up to. He was like the leader in the locker room. But he is rubbish and it didn't occur to me till right at the end exactly what his problem is he is useless transitioning between moves especially when they're happening to him he looks like he's waiting to be hit all the time the best example of that is when right at the end of the match with the finish because he's just standing there in the middle of the ring waiting for 
disc inferno to get to him to then reverse the move and hit him with the stunner so yeah he's he's really not good at doing this he doesn't like most people would do like a little stagger or look like they're selling something to their face or anything he just doesn't do those those little things properly and a lot of his offense looks really sloppy as well at the beginning of the match he calls disc inferno a scrub which i've heard before um, everyone knows the the famous tlc song no scrubs and then he calls him a strawberry as well a straight up strawberry straight up strawberry so delicious to some people i don't like strawberries but he's he's so popular and i don't i don't really get it i don't necessarily believe that he's stolen or copied the road dog gimmick as such um of course he has i actually think he might have been doing it before the road dog um, and and I also think as well, like he has always had a kind of like what you might call like a cholo or like a like quite a hip hoppy kind of gimmick to him as well. And dog D O W G is not an unusual term in that in in that especially West Coast hip hop as well. There's a there's a guy you may have heard of called Snoop Dogg who spells it with two G's as well. So yeah, I don't necessarily buy into that, but he's still not great. He's rubbish in ring, but he just seems to have this charisma that that people seem to really gravitate to yeah so i, I think you i think you hit the nail on the head tommy he's just got a charisma that people gravitate to i think he uh, figured out a gimmick that people enjoyed and liked and thought was quite cool at the time i think his pre-match preamble stuff is similar to road dog regardless of who did it first in that it's very over people like singing along with it and enjoy that i think that i agree as well with his in-ring ability i just don't think he's very good but again he made his name in mexican wrestling and they basically believe it. They live it almost much more than the American wrestling fans do. They they kind of buy into it and they kind of still almost believe it. And he just had a really great gimmick that people kind of really latched onto in, in Mexico. And so then when he joined WCW, he brought all the Lucha guys with him. And they, he was kind of like a talent agent almost, a, a kind of a link into to that company to bring across talent, which is why they all hold him in such high esteem because he basically got him jobs over in North America at a time when the Mexican peso had crashed and so basically the payoffs in mexican wrestling were really low so even you may remember back on like thunder and nitro and all that stuff they used to have regularly just like six-man tag matches with like the vianos and silver king and la parka and el dandy and all these kind of guys and that just working those matches were actually really important to them for their money so that was a major kind of um that was just kind of major source of income for all these guys who had been main event talents in mexico it's not a very good match. It's all right. It's sort of, a, it's pretty decent, but all of that is down to Disco Inferno. It is decent because Disco Inferno is in the match. Conan, it's something about it. I'm reluctant to say what I think because it apes what the Power Slam review said, but basically he just seems really lazy in the match, Conan just doesn't seem to want to do any work like he there's one bit where he spins around almost like a dance move from one direction to the other even that looks really lazy like he can't really be bothered to do it it's really strange yeah it's, it's but it's okay it's actually just about passable but it's not thanks to conan at all um this going through does his absolute best here um, and get something that's, as I said, not not too bad. And what a thing, fucking I'll, lad, Disco Inferno is, eh? And what I'll, I'll always I'll always say about Disco Inferno, he lives the gimmick. I'm convinced 100, percent and that's why I enjoy him so much. Even now, probably. No, he does. I'm pretty sure he does. Like he's, yeah, it's great. I enjoy him so much. So up next is the cruiserweight title match between Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio Jr. Uh, Rey Mysterio is the champion going in. It's 15 and a half minutes long, and it ends when Rey hits a runner from the top rope and retains 
of the title. Tom? So they're tag team champions, um, and so they've kind of got that built on story. I must admit, I, when I saw it, I was like, ugh, Rey Mysterio without a mask. Don't uh, do it for me. So why am I watching this nine-year-old have a wrestling match? Because he looks so youthful. He's been coming on his face. <laughs> That whole thing combined, if you put it all together, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've made myself laugh there. That's really mysterious. Just That's not really a rare face. occurrence, is it? Really? No, it's not. <laughs> I, find, I, find my, I find myself hilarious, I'm not going to lie. Someone has to. So right at the beginning, first off, these are two very, very talented wrestlers. Really, really good in the ring and very comfortable with each other, evidently. Um, Some really nice exchanges at the beginning, to which the crowd just don't really care. Ray hits a hurricane run and hits his own head on the ring steps. And the impact sounds fucking disgusting. A lovely lion salt from Ray Mysterio as well at, at one point. I call it a lion salt, but a, mid, a mid-rope moon salt, if you will. Absolutely beautiful. And everything that these two do, I, I find to be quite controlled, apart from obviously that aforementioned hurricane run in which Ray Mysterio nearly kills himself. I've got a real bugbear about this match, though, and that is Randy Anderson. His I hate his fast count in this. He counts so quickly, and it really it really took me out of the match because it just distracted me so much. Now, you mentioned, old man, that Randy Anderson, he almost redeems himself with, at the end of the match, his dive over both competitors to get himself into a position to make the pinfall. He almost redeemed himself, but he doesn't. He is my cunt of the night, as Randy oh, Anderson. Oh. Well, the count is awful, awful. But at least we've still got some consistency because your cunt of the night, Tony Schiavone, is so fucking obnoxious in this match. And Tony Schiavone is so obnoxious. Bobby the Brain, he don't give a shit. And Mike Tanay is constantly trying to tell stories about the match, but gets undermined throughout the entire thing. And it's so frustrating. One thing as well, I think this match match may have the most bulldogs in it from any match I've ever seen. I think there's about six in, in, in this entire six various different types of bulldogs. But Ray wins with a, with a top rope hurricane runner, which is a little bit anticlimactic after some of the high impact moves that have gone before, but it's still a pretty good piece of work. And as I said, Randy Anderson almost redeems herself with the leap. This is my match of the night. I um, I meant to say that there's a bulldog somewhere else on this show, which is just it's, it's Bret Hart and Owen Hart-esque because Hack and Bam Bam Bigelow do one in their match. In all the in all the rubbish, <laughs> and uh, it's lovely. Sorry, carry on, old man. So Tommy has summed this up quite nicely, but for him, Randy Anderson almost took him out of it. For me, it was the commentary because this is where Shivone and Heenan have their little spat, and it is embarrassing to be honest, because Heenan literally will not talk for, it's only a couple of minutes, I think it goes on for, but Shivone obviously, there's something going on between them, and I don't really know what it, I don't know whether they slept together, and it was all a bit awkward, but like Tommy said, Mike Tanay is trying his little heart out to get something going on commentary, and I really struggle with this match because of that, and I also think this is better than the first match, in my opinion, but it is very much, again, spot to spot to spot to spot, but there is a bit of selling on this one this is the best match so far for me by a fair distance but it's still it's still it's just lacking that psychology i just want something to care about i'm in that mood where i was at, um in ecw living dangerously at this point where i want something to grip onto and something to care about and they've got the ready-made story here which is with the tag teams uh with them being tag team champions and tag team partners but enan and shivoni fucking ride that horse so fucking hard early on that's why they have a fallen out and they've exhausted it and it's like oh you've taken the psychology out of how I was watching the match 
And yeah, just a bit disappointed. I also know that between these two lads, they could have a fucking 27-star match. And I think my hope was that they would. But it's probably a moderately difficult dump with a bit of a challenging cleanup. So I got a feeling that the VHS of this has got highlights of their previous match where Mysterio wins the title from Kidman before it to show that they're going to do something special. And the the highlights look fantastic from that match. Mm. This match never lives up to those highlights. And I think it's because of what you said earlier on, on, Tom, in the first few minutes of the match when Rey Mysterio hits his head. I think he genuinely concusses himself. And they then go on to a different match than they were going to have. Mm. I think that's what happens. I think this was going to be higher paced i think it was going to be more dramatic i think they were probably going to do more spots perhaps not what you're looking for old man but i think it would have been a far more spectacular match had that not happened given the, some of the stuff that they had done on the nitro where they'd had the previous match and they'd shown the highlights that had been before that i wonder i don't know why this is different from the vhs but i'm absolutely certain those those highlights are there because there's no other way i would have seen them so um i'm, I'm pretty sure they, they were in the vhs version and uh, so i just think that it's it is good it's tidy it's decent but but it's not what they're capable of. They are capable of much more than this. And I I can only assume that is because Rey Mysterio like, genuinely concusses himself or something when he hits his head on the ring steps. And that happens like three minutes in. So it kind of they're kind of nursing themselves through the match. As I say, it's perfectly tidy after that, but it's not what it could have been. He is fuming with those steps. He is, yeah. Like, see an angry Rey Mysterio? I, I think that was more scary than when he was singing creepily to his daughter, happy birthday. <laughs> so after this match, we get some footage of the build-up for the Benoit, Malenko, Raven and Saturn match, which draws on the fact that they lost the titles to Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman. Um, we've talked about that match. So then we see some footage of Ric Flair announcing Scott Hall has been stripped of the US title and a tournament will happen. The tournament leads to Steiner versus Booker T in the final and includes issues with Jericho and Stevie Ray helping Booker T at some point. No, Tinky, the tournament will happen. WCW style! <laughs> That's all they say. He says it about four times in that video package about there being a tournament for the US Championship. WCW style! Jericho gets eliminated by Booker T. Scott Steiner beats Meng, I think. And then Jericho gets to have another match against Booker T. But Booker T beats him anyway, so it's pointless. This, I don't know how long this video lasts. Maybe 45 seconds? Yeah. They're trying to cram so much into it. Mm. And you've got, like Tommy said, you've got Ric Flair saying WCW style about eight times. That takes think... up 38 seconds. <laughs> well, I especially think... with all the crying he's doing. <laughs> and bleeding, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think this goes, though, to the central problem that WWE had at the time, which was they just were not telling stories well at all. So WWE, at this point, even though, and I've criticised WWE for that higher power storyline, which was the main uh, focus of WWE's television at this time, because it made a mockery of everything that had taken place for a good few months. But at least it was entertaining. And it made sense episode to episode, if overall it didn't really make a lot of sense. And kind of everyone was kind of invested in the characters. WWE weren't even telling stories. You know, there are very few stories actually leading into any of these matches there's sporting concepts that are coming into it so we've got the tournament final we've got title matches but there are very few stories the bam bam bigelow hack match has the most detailed video before the match happens of all the matches in this like there's actually something going on between them two everybody else i i, I tell i am a little bit being a little bit silly there because goldberg and kevin ash have, have something that's been built up to but overall there's just a real problem with storytelling and i think this is again evident 
division here. So the tournament final for the US title is between Scott Steiner and Booker T. It lasts for 16 minutes and it ends when Steiner hits Booker T with a foreign object as Booker goes for a suplex and then he gets the pin. Old man, what were your thoughts on this one? There's a lot to unpick here. There's a lot to unpick. So Scott Steiner comes out to the Little Wolf Pack music. Ooh! And then... uh. It takes him about a fortnight to walk to the ring because he wants to pick a fight with everyone. He is flexing. He's just trying to... I don't know what's wrong with him, to be honest. But yeah, he gets down to the ring there. Booker T comes out with his great music, does his little thing. Pyro goes off, lovely old job. And then Scott Steiner walks out of the ring and is then trying to get into a fight with everyone in the crowd. And he's doing this for what must be about three or four minutes. Then he's getting a lady to scream as she's rubbing his muscles, his little chest and his abs and that. Yeah, and then this goes on and then he almost swings at a couple of fans. And then the match starts and then he goes back outside the ring for a bit longer and then tries to hit another couple of fans. And uh, this goes on for a long time. But what it does is it riles the fucking crowd up somewhere on and it needed it, I think. And don't be wrong, I think this is Scott Steiner going a bit nuts. And I don't know whether he's in a bad mood, whether he's not had a shit and he was a bit constipated. But uh, he's like, like, he's properly going at these fans to the point where he jumps into the crowd at one point after someone evidently says something. No security anywhere at this point. All the security are uh, lying in the uh, the entrance way. But then the match starts, and I can't be honest, I can't remember a whole lot about it. But this is pretty solid, I think, given that I don't think this is prime Scott Steiner, but I think he does a pretty good job here. Booker T's great, and Booker T will just be great. But I really like this. And then you've got the Frankensteiner from the top rope. That's absolutely beautiful. And you've got an incredible ref bump where he's just wedged between the two wrestlers. And he looks like he could die, but he doesn't, which is great because he contributes to the finish. But that's why he's my MVP, just for taking that bump and for taking that bump, even with an angry Scott Steiner. But I thought this was pretty bloody good stuff and I enjoyed it all the way through and it's like I said it's long and I think the stuff that Steiner does before the match and also during the match with the crowd I think that actually adds to it rather than taking away which I was worried it was going to when he started doing it so I started off on a bit of a bum note I'm not gonna lie I was disappointed that Skyner 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 <laughs> disappointed that Skyner didn't have his chainmail headpiece on which I was always proud of and he didn't have any buff with him I was hoping to see baggers at this point no baggers gutted and I was like well maybe he's gonna come out in one of his disguises but, uh, <laughs> Done. So, so you uh, think he didn't, but actually he was the person fighting Scott Steiner. He was uh, true, yeah. disguised as Booker T. <laughs> it's interesting what you said. Scott Steiner going around the ring all the time is a little bit tedious, but it does serve a purpose. I wasn't such a fan of him going around the ring, but I loved him constantly goading the fans from inside the ring posing all the time just being so obnoxious and he's clearly so I, I disagree that I think he's having a lovely time with Scott Steiner I think someone's been like go out there be a fucking prick do you know what I mean and, and he's gone out there he's like do you know what I'm a, I am a bit of a prick and I'm going to enjoy <laughs> myself again talk about the awful commentary like the, what they're trying to say is that the fans shouldn't be goading Scott Steiner 
because he's got a very short fuse and that's a mistake whereas what they end up doing is insulting the fans and saying that many of the fans who come to the show have had lobotomies which is something that, is, <laughs> that Tony really says which I think is missing the point there's there's getting your talent over and then there's insulting your fans and that's they very much cross the, cross the line there's obviously the big steroid chance from the crowd which I said which again I think builds into the amount of heat he's got on him and I find the things that like Scott Steiner does in the ring really hilarious I love his, his posing I love the press ups that he does this is so obnoxious but I really like it and one thing the commentary team do reasonably well in this is they kind of really big up the fact that Scott Steiner is a real nasty bastard and that the referee is intimidated by him well hence why Steiner doesn't get disqualified when he kicks Booker T in the bollocks and like old man said the Frankensteiner is impressive what I do want to know is what is the foreign object we see it quite a lot in WCW and especially you see Flair using it a lot they're just these white little sticks that I can't <laughs> I can't figure out what they are these little white sticks that are about the size of they look it's like a, a like a pack of tree bore extra strong mints or something like that like I don't know I don't know what it is has anybody got any idea no I think the, the good thing about this though is you can actually see it whereas when Ric Flair does it oftentimes you, it's not even clear that he's got something in hand yeah. what I thought it was until it actually gets used is it's like we had a, this where's the roller quarters in your hand so there's no give in your fist when you're punching someone but Scott Steiner actually hits him with it rather than having it held underneath the seat. So it's very strange. It looks like it might be his penis that's come off in his pants. Interesting uh, theory, old man. I'm not sure that's true, but it's an interesting no, very, one. very white penis. Well, he obviously tans, but I'm guessing he doesn't tan his Johnson. So, yeah, I think this is a decent match. I think this is decent. And I do like Steiner's stuff before the match. I have a mix between the two of you. I think he initially goes in thinking he's going to have a laugh. And I think something does set him off halfway through and he starts getting angry properly and that's why it starts to get very real at certain points but I enjoyed it all the same I thought it was great the more I see of Scott Steiner the more I'm convinced the guy is an absolute great of the rings fucking goat mate he's, he's brilliant goat. he's really good I just think it's great some of his stuff is great the Frankenstein is absolutely brilliant the fact that he can still do it at this stage in his career where he's massive is is just brilliant just a big fan and I'm really pleased to see him today it's been announced that the Steiner brothers are going in the WWE Hall of Fame oh say, that's yeah. lovely I say today I mean today as we're recording this of course not as this show comes out but yes so that's really good news too it's got potential to be a fucking absolute belter of a Hall of Fame Hall of Fame yeah that's what they're going to call it because it's going to be absolute fire I see uh, look at that he's always got he's always got a little angle going on yeah I like it uh, I, and again here in Booker T and Scott Steiner as long as, as well as Raven and Benoit as we talked about before got two guys who could be main event guys easy you know as far as I'm concerned Steiner has already proven through his career that he's at that level Booker T is still not an amazing wrestler yet but he's good enough he could definitely be a headliner he's big he's talented he is charismatic he's got the look I just think everything about Booker T screams future headliner why they weren't already preparing him for that run I do not know thought this was a very decent match and uh, yeah enjoyed it wasn't as sold on the whole intimidation thing with the referee felt that was a bit kind of went a bit far I think if it had just been him bending the rules a little bit it would have made sense but when he does the low blow right in front of him I thought that that's almost a step too far but still 
did enjoy this. We've got uh, one more match to cover. You'll both be pleased to know. We're nearly there. Before that match, we have the internet position, as we discussed earlier <laughs> on. Mysterio's with two guys. Don't know who they are. Can't hear any of the, what any of them say. And they focus on this for a good minute. So I don't know. This is a really, again, poorly produced little bit of yeah, uh, you, stuff. You can't hear anything, can you? No. Then we get the video hype for Nash versus Goldberg. I say video hype is actually just an advert for the match, which is really weird. Like the kind of advert that you'd run in a television spot for 20 seconds to make people aware that there's a pay-per-view coming up and you've got Goldberg in a big match. Well, really, yeah. really poor. It's just footage of Kevin Nash powerbombing people, people and Goldberg spearing and jackhammering people. There may have been a real build, which they kind of do, the commentary do try and touch mm-hmm. on, but that's all it is. So for me, this is another big problem with the booking because this is easily the biggest match on the show. Bill Goldberg's easily the biggest star in WCW. These two headlines Starcade. Kevin Nash beat Goldberg in the main event of Starcade to end Goldberg's streak. This is four months later. This is the main event of this show. It should be the main event of this show. Why they bothered putting the four corners bollocks on, I'll never know. This is the main event. It should be the main event. It's Goldberg's chance to get his kind of revenge, get his win back on Kevin Nash, the one person who's managed to beat him during his time in WCW. And they've buried it in a semi-final spot of a not particularly high-level pay-per-view in WCW. Part of me thinks that's Kevin Nash's design. I think it may not be at this precise moment, but certainly around this period, he is part of the booking team. And I've got a feeling that that is by design from Kevin Nash's perspective he's like I'd rather people remember my win and never see almost forget my loss to Goldberg than than make a big deal of it but it should be it should be the headline it should be a massive deal and it's the one match with genuine build which has been going for longer than a week and it should be the the main event for me who had the book at this time do you know was it still Bischoff I don't know for definite but probably Terry Taylor might have been involved at the time you had Kevin Sullivan was quite a during these periods was quite a big um, part of the booking team can't think who else would have been involved I said possibly Kevin Nash at this time as well so they have their match Goldberg versus Kevin Nash it's a match that goes just under eight minutes and ends when Jock Goldman when Goldberg hits Jock ja- Goldberg <laughs> Jock Goldberg <laughs> Jock Hey, Goldberg, what are you doing, laddie? Jock Goldberg, the uh, French-Canadian member of uh, the WCW roster, hits the jackhammer for the win and uh, avenges his loss at Starcade. Do you mean the jackhammer? The jackhammer, yeah, absolutely. So, old man, what were your thoughts on this one? You know what? This is pretty bloody good, this. All things considered, oddly, Lex Luger and Miss Elizabeth come down to the ring with Kevin Nash. I mean, Luger gets involved a little bit, which we'll get to, but Miss Elizabeth just stood around. I must say as well, quite disheartening to see Miss Elizabeth because she doesn't look in the best way. She doesn't look like she's got all her faculties at this point, unfortunately. But uh, this is, uh, I mean, blimey, it's 7.44. I reckon for the first three and a half minutes, it's Kevin Nash just given a very slow beat down on Goldberg. Makes complete sense because we all know what Goldberg's about. He's about the spear and the jackhammer, and we're not going to get a whole lot more out of him. When Goldberg's making his little comeback, he suplexes Kevin Nash, and Kevin Nash is just not set for a suplex, and Goldberg powers him up, and I was like, fuck me. That is absolutely incredible that he's been able to do that. Does not go well for Goldberg after this, though, because uh, something happens, and he's in the corner, and Lex Luger hits him with the most pathetic chair shot (laughs) I think I've ever seen. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating whacking someone full power with a chair in the head. But I think this is taking careful to a whole other level because he's holding it the wrong way round. Yeah. So the, the legs uh, points <laughs> yeah. out and he just kind of like taps it. It's the, it's the definition <laughs> of a 1980s steel chair shot. That's what this is. Yeah. Yeah. Which I suppose the way that Luger performed in the ring. Yeah. It does make sense. He's stuck in the 80s, wasn't he? So after this, there's about 30 seconds of stuff. And Kevin Nash has just stood up and Goldberg's set up for the spear. And the referee, for some reason, is stood behind Kevin Nash. And the referee then takes an almighty spear. Right in the dick. Oh, my God. It is head first on the bell end. I'm surprised when Goldberg got up, he didn't have a little bell end imprint on his head. Lucky the ref didn't have a Prince Albert in there. It could have killed Goldberg. <laughs> I mean, it's very telegraphed, but it is tremendous stuff. And uh, then you get the predictable finishing sequence. And like I said, this is 7.44. Don't get not long enough to outstay its welcome. And this is definitely as good as this could be. And I this finished and I was like, you know what? Those last three matches pretty bloody good and I was only expecting something from one of them which was the tag match and I thought you know what I'm heading into this main event I'm lubed up and I'm ready I'm a half mast thankfully the referee wasn't otherwise Bill Goldberg might have suffered an injury <laughs> that's true he jarred his neck <laughs> Tom, what were your thoughts? So, at the beginning of the match, old Kevin Nash does a little Scott Hall AO at the beginning as well, which is, even though it's obviously not, based on what's happened recently, it felt like quite a nice tribute. Uh, there's a We Want Sting chant as well from the petulant mm. crowd, as I mentioned earlier. Heenan on Kevin Nash is the best athlete in sports today. Wow. What a statement. <laughs> what a phenomenal, awful shout that is from the old but brain. Before Goldberg gets to the ring, Kevin Nash ain't even in the best the best athlete in the ring at that time because no. the referee's there exactly <laughs> tell you what i will say and this is in no way sticking up for that statement kevin nash is in probably as good a shape as i've ever seen him in a wcw ring mm. i mean he's not in the best shape of his life that was back in wwe but, yeah, I thought, hey. There's uh, the bit where Goldberg hits Kevin Nash with a massive shoulder block, which looks really, really impressive. And Old Man's kind of chatted the other bits. But he missed out one bit that I thought was quite interesting. He missed out on this bit, Old Man. Did, didn't mention it. There's a bit where uh, Goldberg just grabs Kevin Nash's bollocks. And <laughs> Tilly oh, Schroeder yeah. goes, Jack this! <laughs> <laughs> they saved all their best lines for this one yeah they did mm. jack this that's amazing he's just so fucking stupid but yeah like you said it's really impressive that you can get nash up for the old jackhammer fair play he's that guy's that guy's got some big fucking long legs and fair play to nash will be able to get his legs up there as well this match was all right i didn't mind it it would have mattered. legs luger looks fucking dreadful on his way to the ring he looks mm. in terrible so he can barely move and like you said it's sad it's quite sad watching old liz not in her best way this match is all Right, it, it was Goldberg versus versus Kevin Nash. I had incredibly low expectations, so like it surpasses expectations, which admittedly weren't high. But I, I didn't mind it. But again, like Tinky said, placing on the cards a bit weird. Well, I mean, I think as well that you see the reaction from the crowd to Goldberg spearing Nash and then jackhammering him, and you can see he's the biggest star in the company. 
it's just so obvious and it's just so weird that they've buried this one match which has got some history and contains their top star uh in the semi-final spot which i just don't don't get uh bobby heenan at one point they're talking about a magazine article that someone's done on goldberg and uh the apparently the writer's surprised at how hot wrestling is at the moment and uh, bobby heenan says well they don't have run-ins in golf do they which i thought was actually the best, <laughs> the best line of the night to be honest so he wasn't all bad there were sort of glimpses of the previous great bobby heenan and i agree with you both i think I think this is a really decent seven minute match and it's what they needed to do with Goldberg because he still was really, really inexperienced, but he was the biggest star as well. So they really had to protect him. They gave him short matches and had him win them relatively simply. And I think it's worth, even with that in mind, I think it's worth reassessing Goldberg because we, I think our experience of him in general has largely been his more recent WWE stuff and even the stuff in the mid 2000s when he came back into WWE. But his initial run, regardless of what, regardless of that inexperience his matches felt big time they felt important they were fun they booked him well at least in terms of the matches as i said the booking of this the placing of this was bad but the matches themselves were booked to absolutely hide all of his inexperience and uh, and really show the power-based excitement that goldberg could provide and i think um i think this is pretty decent so that's the full show that's everything covered now it's time for your overall thoughts and your scores out of 10 this is going to be interesting, I think. So why don't we start with Tom? Um, I've given this a five out of ten. I liked both the cruiserweight matches in it. Tag match is pretty good. I found enjoyment in the Disco Inferno match against Conan, and I found enjoyment in the Steiner Booker T match as well. So that's a decent whack of the card that I quite liked. Scotty Riggs versus Mikey Whitbreck is pointless. Didn't enjoy Hack versus Bam Bam, and I didn't really like the main event massively. So I, I've, that's why I've given it a five. Right down the middle, bang average. Probably won't ever watch it again. Oh man, this is a weird one. This because as we know, as we've gone through it, the first half of this card, I found very little to enjoy in it. But then the last four matches, the main event is the weakest of the four. But that's not a bad match, and I think with a better end, I think it would be. I think just without Savage doing what he does, it would be a much better match. But the tag match was my match of the night. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Steiner Booker T, thoroughly enjoyed that. Goldberg Kevin Nash, as good as it could be. Like you said, Tinky, should have been main event. If that's if they switch these around, we're looking at a different... I'm going to give it a six, which given where I was an hour into the card, I would have thought was impossible. But fair fucks to the more experienced guys on the card because they do drag it back. And I do agree with what you said, Tinky, that Kevin Nash probably has this in the uh, semi-final spot because of his ego. But... That doesn't take away from the quality of the match that he manages to have with Goldberg. Well, which actually, no, which Goldberg manages to have with him. I think it's probably a better way because Goldberg could do his stick against anyone. Mm. No, I agree. I think actually what makes it impressive, particularly in this case, is that it's Kevin Nash. It looks really impressive when he gets him up for the jackhammer and whatnot. But uh, mm. it's, so I don't think it's Kevin Nash that's really pulled <laughs> more of the weight here. For me, I've given it a six out of ten as well, and that actually would have been a lo- would have been a high score, the same as you, old man, if they'd switched the main event around. Uh, if Bill Goldberg and Kevin Nash had been top, I think I'd probably given this a seven because i think actually the only thing i 
actively found lower than average on the show was the Scotty Riggs Mikey Whitbrook match. Everything else I think is at least average and in most cases above average. So I think that the opener and even yes the Hack Bigelow match are above average. There's just something a little bit extra about them. Um, I think that the Billy Kidman Rey Mysterio Jr. matches are just above average. I think the Booker T Scott Steiner matches above average. I think that the Kevin Nash Goldberg matches above average and I think the tag team matches is really decent too. I, I just think there's not a lot to dislike personally but I can see why some people would and I think a lot of this probably hinges on reaction to those first two bouts because whichever way you go is going to set the tone for the whole the rest of it I read somewhere something on the research I was doing my research I think it's on the Wikipedia page to be honest because that was where I did all my research I love I love that we live in a world now where reading Wikipedia is considered research, research yeah exactly um, but apparently this is effectively considered to be like the last good WCW pay-per-view the rest of them from here is all downhill which I personally can't fucking wait to watch <laughs> so yeah um so that's my thoughts six out of ten decent show but a bit let down by poor placing of the main event and also badly booked stuff in general just one more piece of business from me today before we uh, wrap up we are taking next week a one week break that will allow me to spend some time with my new baby that is due later in the week that we are recording this. After that, while I'll be around regularly, there will be some moving around of personnel to accommodate me taking a few additional weeks off. No doubt, though, you'll be in enjoyable, if not necessarily safe hands, with old man Tom, Matt, and anybody else who joins us during that period for the shows I am away. On that note, old man, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. I've got one last little, uh, one last little thing for you boys, and it's the second... Byron Faxton of the week. So I was reading about the Tacoma Day, which is where this show took place. 17,690 WCW fans, WCWites, are in the ring. Are in the ring. Are in the arena. <laughs> it's a big old fucking ring. <laughs> yeah. So WWE. Oh, I'm going to go Australian then. Uh, <laughs> WWE. The fucking world wrestling entertainment. <laughs> Hosted in June 2019, their Stomping Grounds pay-per-view. Attendance, less than 6,000. Tyron Faxton of the week. Which I thought was a lovely look at how far the wrestling business, in terms of fan excitement for the middling pay-per-view, has dropped off in those 20 years. But we ain't worried about that, because what we need to do, rate, review, remember, Ken Patera. Absolutely lovely. And what was the best bit about that was how happy old man was once he realised he could make that lovely little saying out of it. Yeah. And Tom, thank you for your contributions as well. Cheers, lads. I'm off, eh? For a wank. (laughs) Money in the wank, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) this has been the random wrestling review we'll be back with you in two weeks time but until then take care bye everyone don't forget us i always mean to say something better than that but i just panic and just (laughs) i'm off for a wank (laughs) that's always been a problem for you in life isn't it if you you get in a panic you're like i'm gonna have to give a wank yeah the amount of job interviews i've been kicked out of (laughs) just flogging your dead horse